the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on gotodobbs.com now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skilled team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. This is the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Good morning, everyone. Happy Taco Tuesday from the Opening Drive on 101 ESPN at 7 o'clock. Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And we're going to give you about two minutes to get your YouTube fired up. Go to YouTube.com, search 101 ESPN STL. We have a special event coming up here in the studio that you'll want to be able to visualize. Good yes. morning to Brooke Grimsley. Brooke, how are you this morning? I'm doing good, other good. than I think I'm a part of this special surprise. Well, we're all a part of the, we're all a part of the opening drive, so yeah, we're all, a part of, we're all a part of this special presentation. CD, Super Bowl champ, Kerry Davis, good morning. I am delighted. Delightful. I am wonderful. I am a, I'm in a great space right now, Randy. You know, uh, I feel good. You sound like somebody who had a uh, two-hour nap yesterday. Oh, man, Randy, let me tell you. So, you know, we, we lost. There are, there are obviously, you don't want to lose football games. And they, but they, in life. There are negatives and there are positives. So we lost the game, couldn't, not, not, don't have any more practices. The positive side to that is after work yesterday, oh man, that two and a half hour nap that I got to take without setting an alarm to get up to go to practice. I'm I'm rejuvenated. I'm rejuvenated. (laughs) You all are going to get the best version of me. Uh, Here we go. All right. I love it. it. Yes. Uh, CD, I think, is extremely happy because there's also another thing that's happening this morning. Uh, We got to tell you what's happening on the show. Uh, Coming up later at uh, 8.15, we're going to talk to John Kelly, our weekly visit with the TV voice of the blues. He'll join us at 8.15. At 9.15, our friend Katie Wu from The Athletic talking a little Cardinal baseball. And then at 9.30, bottom of the hour, in-studio guest, Barkley. Barkley the duo dog. Uh, who represents us in the Charles. Yeah. Oh, no, not Charles. No, this is just Charles. This, this is the important part. Oh, okay. That and, other guy. He's and, just, and he is going to be here. Uh, by the way, last night, uh, one of the, well, the best jerseys in sports, the uh, the L.A. Chargers, uh, they, they knocked off the Jets 27-6. to The Jets looked wholly inept last night. Inept is probably a mild word. For the Jets last night, they stink. They're bad. <laughs> yeah, that, that you were being polite mm-hmm. with inept. They stink. Zach Wilson missing receivers that are wide open, throwing it over their head, throwing flat routes, out routes, out of bounds. It's not good. And if you're Robert Sala, you 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 have to be just. Thinking, why me? <laughs> why? <laughs> why me, man? I've done everything right, yeah. but dang old starting quarterback gets hurt four plays into the season. Why me? I mm. haven't done anything wrong to anyone, and yet here I am with a young man that I I want to believe in. I really would love to believe Forget in it. Zach Wilson. Forget it. But he can't because he cannot 
make the throws. He cannot make the decisions, and it is, it's tough to watch. I appreciate how much time the Jets have given Zach Wilson. I think they've done it the right way because they didn't give that much time or effort to Sam Darnold when they decided that he couldn't play. I, mm-hmm. I I think they just they drafted another quarterback high that sucked. They took Darnold third, and they took Zach. And by the way, they went go back in 09. They took Mark Sanchez with the fifth pick of the draft. Ooh, yes. Sanchez with the fifth, Darnold with the third, and Zach Wilson with the second pick. And not him. much to show for it. Nope. I guess it's commendable, to your mm-hmm. point, Randy, when you're saying that They're they trying. gave him time. But what mm-hmm. about last season? Remember when they all rallied around, what was it, Mike White? Yeah. And they... They had their answer there. I think that they already knew that Zach Wilson wasn't meant to be the guy. Do you think the Jets should have made a move at the trade deadline to get another quarterback? I don't know if there was anything there. I really, uh, unless they were going to get Josh Dobbs, Josh right? Dobbs. <laughs> <laughs> the man's a winner of football games, so, Randy. The, the Chargers 27 6 win over the Jets. Caps week eight. Week eight started with a bet and a Steelers victory mm. over the Tennessee Titans. I, I, so what was a bet? When, when you have a bet, you usually have a payout, right? Yeah, we do. Okay, so our bet was the Tennessee Titans playing the Pittsburgh Steelers. If the Tennessee Titans won, Kerry Davis, me, would wear a Tennessee Titans jersey. Hmm? Her father had Sam Wycheck and, and, and Derrick Henry. Was it Derrick Henry? No, no Eddie no, Jordan. Eddie Jordan. Jordan yeah. Readily available for me. So I didn't lose. <laughs> Sorry. In case you saw that game. Yeah. Yeah. I actually won the bet. So therefore, Mr. and Mrs. Grimsley, are they listening? Are they watching? Yes, they're always you all, listening. Your discretion is advised. If you don't uh, see this right now, you'll be able to watch it on our YouTube channel after the show. This this uh, this jersey adornment will live in perpetuity, perpetuity. on the 101 ESPN YouTube channel. Uh, 101 ESPN SGL. Delightful. Here we go. Let's Friday. see your face. There we go. There's a big number 38. Okay. And here we go. My skin might burn. Oh, I don't know. I put on a Ravens jersey after losing a bet, and oh, I was well. itching for about three hours. <laughs> it looks wonderful. Oh, that purple will look probably look great on no, you, Gary. Are you sure? I, I thought you look good. Yay! Yeah. Yeah. Now, Brooke only has to wear it for one hour. We did we did come to that agreement, so... Uh, I was kind of, here's the thing. I was hoping that yeah. you would forget because you forgot, forgot yesterday. yesterday. And I was like, I'm not going to text him. I'm not going to help him remember this. And then I walk in today and there it was on my chair. Yep, and yep, yep. I was like, is it too late to call out sick? <laughs> is it? Is it? Oh, that's fantastic. It's it looks fine. great. And it's a, uh, it's got a Super Bowl patch, by the way, the Super Bowl 43 patch on it. So, uh, Brooke will be wearing that throughout the show, so you or throughout this hour, the so you hour. can uh, tune in via. via <laughs> I, the I, I did. We initially had the entire show, but I, you know, yeah. I felt like that might. I Thank was, you. I, yeah. Thank okay. you for showing mercy. I, <laughs> <laughs> Unlike You're your Steelers welcome. against my Titans, uh, uh, you know, it is what it is. We just <sighs> showed up in the Titans. Never thought did. this would happen in my lifetime. It's a beautiful thing. Are you, are. I, I would. I, I mean, when your father, when your mother and father see it, they will, I'm sure, have some words. But you know. <laughs> It's okay. Steve's probably laughing yeah. right now. He's getting a kick out of this. In addition to the Chargers' 27-6 victory over the Jets last night, uh, the Blues host the Jets tonight. Oh, they should be good and tired then, right? I would th- well, no, this is the Winnipeg Jets, Uh-oh. unfortunately. Uh-oh. They don't have Zach Wilson. Oh. oh. So the Blues actually got to work yeah. tonight. Oh, okay. yeah. You know what, Randy made that joke off the air, and, and everyone didn't make it on the air yesterday. But you know what, Carrie? I'm proud of you for breaking the, break, break, yeah. breaking the seal That's again. Yeah. And uh, the college basketball. 
basketball season underway last night. SLU knocks off Southern Indiana over at Chaffetz Arena. 75-63, Terrence Hargrove with a career high against a D1 team. 27 points, 15 boards, played center all the time he was in the game. Missouri put up a hun on Arkansas Pine Bluff, 101-79. Arkansas Pine Bluff, a solid program. Sure. Um, I really <laughs> never covered them while oh, okay. I was down there. The, they weren't They weren't kind of like the hogs, were they? No. Okay. It was all Razorbacks country where I was at. I was in northwest Arkansas. Okay. Sean East uh, had 21 points for the Tigers. Nick Honor played an honorable game with 18. <laughs> <laughs> How many they, times do you think he's heard that in his uh, lifetime? Probably pretty many. Uh, and so one, two, three, four, five guys in, in double figures. And I-L-L-I-N-I knocking I off Eastern Illinois in their I. opener. 80 and 52. Go. That's what we do. You know, we just, we, 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 here's the thing, Randy. This is the thing you have to know about Illinois football and Illinois basketball. November, it's, it's football. I mean, November is basketball. We, we kind of just move away from the football scene. That's been the tradition, tradition of what we do. November starts. That's basketball season. We we don't think really <laughs> about football. I, I play football, and it's just basketball season. We're, we're worried about it. That's what they do at KU. Kansas, uh, the number one team in the land, uh, after getting past those five level one violations, uh, knocked ooh, off North ooh. Carolina. Ooh. North Carolina Central. Pause. 99-56. Uh, that's who they played in their opener. And let me scroll down to Michigan State. They lost to James Madison, that 79-76. In overtime. Tom Izzo losing to his nephew, who Ooh. coaches James Madison. Oh. Had some, some information on his uh, on his uncle, huh? Yeah, might have. Knew, knew what to do. Yeah. 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 Oh, you, you, listen. You're James Madison, and that's your nephew, and you got to go to Thanksgiving with him. Oh, oh. man, yeah, you probably. <laughs> we might not yeah. win another game all year, but guess what, Unc? <laughs> Somebody, somebody's playing in the Bahamas. Somebody's playing in the Bahamas. Oh. And uh, the Cardinals with some in, and Brooke and I were talking about this before we got started. They have the general managers meeting started down in Scottsdale, Arizona, and. It's hard to figure out what the hell the Cardinals are doing. <laughs> That's a great way to start this because I am perplexed, confused. What other words could we add to this? Because it's very confusing. Because maybe, maybe this is just me, but when you say around August that you're going to get three starting pitchers, maybe I shouldn't have believed you, but you say that. And then you didn't have your end of the season press conference. What's something that we've talked about all season is maybe making sure that you don't, at least going into next season, have mixed messages, everybody on the same page. You don't have your end of the year press conference, but Ali Ramal was asked at the end if they need three starting pitchers, and he said yes. He was very adamant about that because he's the manager that is there day in and day out. John Mosellock admitted that roster construction was an issue this season, and then you get the quotes, Ray Randy, that uh, if you want to read those from yesterday <laughs> from John Mosellock that leave you pretty confused. Uh, well, yeah, they're they're troubling. Let me uh, move back to them. It's because essentially the way I read it and tell me, guys, if I'm out of bounds here, uh, I read that they're going to maintain their current level of spending. Um, and by the way, they're bringing back the uh, the same coaching staff. But essentially what he said was they plan to have a payroll that is the equivalent of what the opening day payroll last year was before they made the trades at the trade deadline, right? They started at about $175 million. That's the way I read it. Is that the way you guys read it? Yeah. yeah, That's yeah. How I, read it. I think we have to be prudent on how we think, of, think through some of this. But I definitely think the type of payroll we're going to have 
we were going to have last year before the trades will look very similar this year. Yep. Here's the, the, the quote. I think we have to be prudent on how we think through some of this, but I definitely think the type of payroll we were going to have last year before trades will look very similar this year. Uh, so that's a quote from John Mozeliak so, via John Denton of MLB.com. So I definitely think the type of payroll we were going to have last year before the trades will look very similar this year. That's a direct quote from the Pobomo. So there was a point where we heard that we were going to get three starting pitchers, and I said, I kind of laughed, I chuckled. I said, yeah, I don't think so. I, I, I didn't believe it then. I, I, I thought that, you know, that was just something you said in the moment because, and I, I will give I will give John Mosellock a little bit of leeway on this because he isn't the one who actually shells out the money. He's not the one who signs the actual contract. So th- his hands are tied to a degree. Now, will he come out and say, hey, I, they don't want to spend money. We're going to spend it like we spent it last year. That's not something he can say. But I think you also cannot say this is what we're going to do without proof that that's what you're going to do without the, the, the conversation that we're going to go up 10, 15, 20 million going into into this season. And he and Bill DeWitt make it a point when asked to point out that they talk every single day. He is Bill DeWitt Jr.'s voice for this ball club. And if we're going to defend him by saying Bill DeWitt is the guy who has to sign off on every deal, John Mozalek doesn't control the the purse strings. We also have to say if he's going to say something like we're going to get three starting pitchers, that has to be considered coming from Bill DeWitt Jr. also. Yeah, he wouldn't say that without some sort of understanding, I would assume, with Bill DeWitt, because it is coming from them. It is them that is deciding. They are the ones who are deciding how that money is getting spent and how much they want to spend each season. So my question is, from August, the trade deadline, when Mosellock made those comments, what changed from three starting pitchers to now when it comes to your spending? Because nothing changed. And he also made the quote during the trade deadline mentioning that even whatever happened in the second half of the season, that wouldn't change their aggressiveness, their approach to the offseason. To me, it sounds like you got sticker shock again. And then you recognize, okay, we're not going to be able to go out and get three starting pitchers, which is fine. I understand that things change. But when you say that and then your manager is also agreeing that this is something when he's evaluating his own team, he's with them day in and day out, that they do need three starting pitchers that's what's concerning let me throw a suggestion out to you guys maybe the tone deafness has reached new new heights so here's something that Derek Gould wrote this morning Mosellock added that the Cardinals need to account for a likely sag in revenue from ticket sales coming out of a losing season the team they put together in the winter will clearly influence fan interest how it plays in the summer will influence it more Is it possible that the Cardinals think that they are so entrenched in the community and so entrenched among their fan base that they thought during a 90 loss season that people would just come back automatically because they're the Cardinals and then they started getting a response from their season ticket holders? They they couldn't possibly think that fans would just show up no matter what product you put out there. Because if you watched if you watched games last season, I've never seen Bush Stadium that empty. Mm -hmm. Because of the product that was on the field, you knew that that team didn't have what it took to win games, to win multiple games, to put themselves in position to win the division. And so fans stopped showing up. They found other things to spend their hard-earned money on. And I would assume some of the same. If you trot out the exact same team as last year and you end up 20 games under 500 or heading in that direction – 
people will not spend their money to come see it. it baseball takes it, 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 it where you're coming from. If you got to drive 45 minutes, you got to spend money on parking. Mm-hmm. You got to spend money on food. It's not just you. It's probably you, your wife, your kids trying to enjoy a game. And you're spending all of this money to watch a product that is not good. And the team is losing. Why? In the, let's go to Dave and Buster's kids. How do you like that? Let's, or a soccer game. Let, let's go do that. Soccer, How, what do you yes. think? There are many other things that a family can do. Free zoo. Free zoo <laughs> in the summertime. Yep. <laughs> let's do that. Yeah. We don't have to go all the way downtown. We can stop right here and on Hampton. One other point. Again, a 90-loss team that was pretty abysmal. Uh, the offense was okay. But if you're, if you're going to come back with Dusty Springfield and Ike and Tina Turner in your dugout <laughs> oh, as coaches, goodness. then we're just going to have to deal with... <laughs> Mediocrity again. What? <laughs> do we? So, do we just bypass the uh, press conference? I think we just yeah. blow I past we, that. I think the, the press conference was probably yesterday. Carrie, they they want us to read the hieroglyphics. Remember, we need we need to bring that back essentially because that's what it feels yeah. like. I was reading all these quotes and stuff yesterday, and I was like, what What is happening here? Yeah. Because it doesn't seem like there's any clear message. You know what helps with that? is the end of the season press conference mm-hmm. and getting on the same page with everybody. Mm-hmm. And to your point of what you're talking about, it it, they, it should matter what people are spending their money on and taking that into account. When you say that there's going to be a likely sag in revenue from ticket sales coming out of the losing season, I would like to see that followed up with, we understand because we didn't put a proper product out in the field that people feel was adequate enough to spend their hard-earned money on. Yeah, it, it's bewildering. The whole thing is bewildering. Mm-hmm. One other quick one. Uh, one of the quotes yesterday, or one of the points yesterday, uh, I believe this is from John Denton. The Cardinals and Yadier Molina continue to discuss his return to the organization and what role that will be. Molina wants to be part of the big league organization, and the topic continues to be the time commitment, role, and responsibility. It doesn't seem as if the Cardinals would be worried about him working too much. So my guess is that the time commitment consideration is about how much Yachty wants to work rather than how much the Cardinals want to allow him to work. This is not going to be a situation where, like with Peyton Manning during a bye week, the Colts had to come in and kick him out of the facility. <laughs> this is, uh, this, this, I, I think it's the opposite. I think there might be a limitation to how much Yachty wants to work. It, there, that is a different type of stress and pressure and time management time consumption when you are coaching as opposed to playing playing you can show up spend your couple of hours there go home coaching you are there all damn day and night and it just it's a it's a huge difference coming up here on 101 espn the cardinals might be adding somebody from outside their organization who's been with a major league team recently to their voices last time they did that was 1996 is this a good idea it's next on 101 espn you're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Last time the Cardinals brought somebody into their organization from another major league organization that actually had a voice was... 1996, when Tony Larusa was hired as manager. Since then, the Cardinals have brought in, for example, Randy Flores, who was working in putting together his app and his video materials uh, when the Cardinals hired him. He wasn't with another major league organization. Jeff Luno came from the business world. Michael Gersh came from the business world. The Cardinals have not brought in somebody with a real voice. I'm not going to say that. 
for example, Joe McEwing has a real voice, uh, a real voice in decision-making or suggestions since Tony La Russa. And on the Twitter machine yesterday, legendary writer Peter Gammons tweeted, family, ever important to Heim Bloom, was a concern, but there are rumblings that he could go to St. Louis on an advisory basis. He's earned as much family time as possible. And uh, my presumption would be, and, and Danny Mac points this out, that he would be in a role similar to what Jim Leland had here in St. Louis where he made suggestions. I don't think the Cardinals feel like they need to go get Jim Edmonds if they don't have uh, Jim Leland on their staff in in 2000. And, and Ken Bonifay and some Bob Gephardt. The Cardinals have had some other guys, but not real voices in the room. And my hope would be that Heimblum, who, by the way, was a member of the Tampa Bay front office before he went to Boston and didn't win anything, would be a guy that would be listened to within that organization. I guess my question would be what what – how much value will he add if you are so analytically driven and that is the only thing that matters? What what voices can outweigh the numbers? Because at the end of the day, they have been solely based on the analytical numbers and how they go about their day-to-day business that a person's voice isn't going to outweigh that. True. If they're dug in and they think that they're the smartest people in the room— then they have to deal with that issue. But if they're open-minded enough to say, okay— Ten years ago, we were a model franchise. Now we have been passed up by literally half the franchises in baseball in terms of the way they do business. If you're, if you can read the room enough, I think Heim Bloom can be an asset for you. But like to to your point, CD, you have to be willing to listen to him. You do have to be willing to listen, and I think that bringing him in on an advisory role. My question would be, and I think that his role would definitely be, wouldn't it be helping? the pitching because that seems to be the biggest issue right is that you keep finding yourself in this position where you're going to have to go out and spend money on pitching what about building it within the organization so do you think that bloom would be brought in for that role on revamping the cardinals pitching system especially when they are saying that they realize they need to get with the times and also the trends of baseball and start working on getting more strikeout guys i wonder how much juice he would have within the organization if you had somebody that you were confident in that could do that that would be perfect because when's the last time the cardinals developed a star pitcher that's and that's the thing that you need. That right. is something young, that yeah. Yeah, old pitching is expensive. Old mm-hmm. good pitching is expensive, mm-hmm. and the Cardinals uh, the, they don't go expensive. So mm-hmm. they're going to have to have young pitching that is inexpensive, and it can't just be Johan Oviedo, and can't be a, a, an injured Jack Flaherty, and it can't be Shelby Miller, and it can't be Dakota Hudson. You need to develop some some dudes, and they haven't done that on the pitching side since. Matt Morris? Mm. No, there's got to be somebody. It's been a while, Mike, is the point, yeah. is that you have to revamp Walker was it. on his way. Walker. Yeah, yeah I'll, Walker. I'll give him he was on his yeah. way. And, and, yeah. yeah. yeah but he, he was a star. I'll, yes. I'll give him being a star. Yeah. Yeah. I, you said something, and you talked about the Cardinals being able to recognize that they've been passed up. That would require some humility. Mm-hmm. And that would require some people really taking a look inside and saying, hey, you know, last season wasn't great. What was the outcome of that? Oh, it's a lot of red seats when I turn on the games or when I go to the ballpark. It's a lot of butts, not in seats. Now, the credit, the Cardinals may say, well, those seats were already paid for. <laughs> Whatever. I don't give a damn. But they aren't going to continue to be paid for if you continue to put out a product that does not have success. This all, it, it all is tied together. The Cardinals have to 
Find a way to win games. How do you win games? You get better players. How do you get better players? You pay more money. Mm -hmm. And then you get more money on the back end because more people are showing up to your games. And John Ditton had a quote with John Mosellock when he was asked about Bloom. Of course, Mosellock not confirming that Bloom is the person that could be possibly coming into the organization, but he was very receptive to bring in an outside person to the Cardinals organization. He said, oh, no, not that receptive. I don't think he was that receptive, Randy. Hold your horses. Mosellock said on the possibility of adding an advisor. The other way to say it is that we want to have someone from the outside look at the inside. There's some talented people that have been let go, and I want to make sure we remain open-minded and understand that this could be a good thing for us. That's encouraging. My follow-up question is, do you think that bringing in an advisor is something that Mosellock wanted to do, or is this something that DeWitts realized or recognized that they need to bring in an outside voice perspective, and maybe even somebody who's not necessarily going to be a yes man within the organization? I think it's got to be a Mo move, because Mo's not going to listen to that person unless he's on board with it. Hmm. So you're, you're wasting money if you're ownership, and you say, okay, it's kind of like, Tony, or not Tony, but Walt with Jeff Luno. Walt didn't want anything to do with analytics, and he, they were across the hall and had no relationship whatsoever. So I would guess they, the Cardinals probably learned a lesson there, and so they, they think, okay, if we're going to bring somebody in, our general manager better be on board with it. And they aren't going to get rid of a general manager, I don't think, this time, like they did with Walt Jockety. This is uh, this is intriguing. It's a mess. I, I, it, it is a mess, and <laughs> I think it's more of a mess because it was never we never got any conversation about mm-hmm. what the steps were going to be, and maybe they feel like the hell with you all. It's not your business. It's our business. We'll figure it out, yeah. and and we'll let you know when we know. And and you, they have the right to do that. But you also, when you do that, you're going to receive a lot of questions and a lot of you know comments about how you're going about your business because people are are questioning what you're doing or what you're not doing. And unfortunately for them, if that's the way they feel, their business is our business because people pay to watch their business and the, their product needs to be good. All Well, everybody's product needs to be good all the time. But for them, especially in this town, they know it. It needs to be premium. And that, that's my biggest sadness, I guess. I don't get the vibe that they really care about excellence right now. Well, my fear is that by not having it in a season press conference and then you have all these mixed messages continuing, which we know how big of an issue that was this season, is that the perspective or the perception is, is that not everybody's on the same page. And that's what it looks like, because it almost looks like that you're flying by the seat of your pants and that there isn't maybe a big picture plan. And you're just kind of going with the flow, which this offseason requires a plan, a full fledged plan that is very well thought out where you're not changing your your approach and your thought process with things. And let me make one more point here about an outside voice, whether it's Bloom or somebody else. The Dodgers have been one of the best organizations for more than a decade. Not only did they recognize that Ned Coletti, who was a very good general manager and a really good guy, uh, he wasn't the answer at the time. So they bring in Andrew Friedman. And Andrew Friedman always has former GMs as assistant GMs. The Giants recognize that, so they bring in Farhan Zaidi as their general manager, or, well, Pobo. And his first year, they win 107 games. The Brewers, uh, David Stearns, was a a contemporary of Mo. David Stearns gets kicked upstairs, and and they hire a new, uh, a different feel general manager. Uh, Same thing happened in... um, in, in Texas, where they brought in Chris Young. John Daniels was another contemporary of Mo, And they thought, oh, well, it's getting stale here. So they kind of kicked Daniels upstairs, and they bring in Chris Young, and they wind up winning the World Series. If you look at, like, the top 10 franchises right now, in terms of record from 2023, they all had fresh voices in their front office. 
And that's something that I think the Cardinals desperately need. We're going to talk more about this. You can leave us a mic drop if you'd like. The mic drop is always open with the 101 ESPN app. We're going to talk about this at 8 and 9. What do you think of the current state of the Cardinals? And that comment that it looks like they're going to maintain payroll from what it was at the beginning of last year. And no changes to the coaching staff either. We're going to talk about that at 8 o'clock. Coming up. Oh, by the way, Matthew should be happy this morning. Engineering came in at some point. Uh, I pulled out our our blinds yesterday. Yes, you did. <laughs> uh, you you were just you know doing some feng shui. I, I was, yeah. I was trying yeah. to make it look. Listen, a Randy's bit. been he's been holding it back, guys. He hasn't really given people the ticket to the gun show on, on YouTube the way he could, <laughs> he, the way he could be doing it. He could be flexing it out. And yesterday he just decided, I'm tired of keeping it under wraps, and people got to see what I can do. So Hulk somebody smash. came in. And, Hulk smash. Yeah, so somebody came in and fixed the blinds. So I'm going to close those. During the course of uh, this brief commercial break. But coming back, does the NFL have a major quarterback problem? That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Third and four. Time. Catch. Brandon Powell. Touchdown Vikings. And they have the lead. Chris Myers still doing games on Fox. <laughs> Who knew? Joshua Dobbs with, with, with a touchdown. But Joshua Dobbs still in the league. Who knew? Yeah. Good for Who him, knew? though. Good for him. In week nine, seven rookie quarterbacks started in the NFL. First time since week 17 of the week 17 of the 2019 season for the most rookie quarterbacks to start in a season since 1950. Uh, so seven is the number that started this year, past weekend, nine rookie quarterbacks have started a game, and that tied the 2019 season for the most rookie quarterbacks to start. The people that have started so far this year, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, Jaron Hall, Tyson Badgett. 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 Um, uh, he's not going to stick around long enough for me to learn. <laughs> Aiden O'Connell, Will Levis, he's going to be a star. <laughs> And Clayton Toon. It, it would seem like there should be more qualified quarterbacks to prevent rookies from needing to start. I can see three, four. I can see teams that desperately need quarterbacks uh, to play, taking them in the first round and playing them right away. But it seems like previous quarterbacks should have been better or more conditioned to play. As an example, last night, Zach Wilson uh for for the Jets, should should he be better? Should Sam Darnold perhaps be starting for the Jets? When you look at the the swings and misses for drafted quarterbacks in the NFL, it's really alarming, and I, I think that's a quarterback problem, and I think it's a league problem. I don't think they've figured out a. We know they don't know how to draft quarterbacks. B. I don't know that they know how to develop quarterbacks. Well, they definitely definitely have issues with developing players. This is a, I mean, in in all sports, I think now, but spe- specifically for football, there is a, I guess, a desire for players to come ready made. Like, come mm-hmm. on, be able to play right away. In college, that's the mindset. In the NFL, that's definitely the mindset, and that's because players and and coaches only get a set number of years to get their product right to keep their job. So if you only have a t- two to three year window to win games. You don't have a year and a half, two years to develop a guy to be really good at at their craft. But can you explain to us the difference between playing in a spread offense where you never huddle, 
and essentially don't have a playbook in college and you come into the NFL and you've got huddles, you've got explaining to your teammates, you don't have a bunch of pictures on the sideline. How dramatic is that difference? And uh, Let me throw out a little note for you. When Sam Bradford joined the St. Louis Rams in 2010, he had never clapped out of a huddle before. Mm-hmm. They had to teach him in minicamp how to clap out of a huddle. There is a it, there's an audio from Josh Dobbs over the weekend or after he after he won that game talking about the difference from going from one offense to the next offense. He says like learning AP Spanish for your entire semester. And then on Wednesday, they tell you got an AP French test on Sunday and you have to figure it out. That's how hard the terminology is. And that's why when people say, oh, football players are dumb, you're crazy as hell. It's hard as hell to understand the nuances of offenses and to go from a college system where you may have, you know, three or four words of formation, a play and a snap count to in the NFL where you literally have 15, 20, 25 words that is telling everyone the protection, the snap count, the play, another play, who's running what route. It's it's a lot. It's a lot of detailed information. And if you are unable to decipher that, those guys don't play. They never make it because they're not they just can't gather that information quick enough to get lined up and know exactly what play needs to be done. That's named Malik Willis for those of the that are <laughs> oh. uninitiated. Oh. Hey, we got Will Levis now. <laughs> that is a low blow. You do it while I'm wearing the Steelers jersey too. I am excited about Will Levis, by the way. But my question would be for you, C D too. It seems like, especially with the NFL, and I, I know this goes for all the professional sports leagues, it, it takes a lot. It's lightning in the bottle lightning in the bottle for a lot of situations but it feels like for the NFL in particular that they just really expect guys to just come out and be a star immediately and if you're not able to do it quickly then you're done it's like a microwave society which I know we're in now but even more so for the NFL I look at teams like the Jaguars right now specifically in the AFC South I think that they are doing some things right when it comes to bringing in young young quarterbacks if you're going to invest a draft pick and a young quarterback especially a high draft pick like a Trevor Lawrence or or a CJ Stroud, oh, then you, Meyer. oh no 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 no, no, no. <laughs> then you make that. sure to put the right things in place. I think it's been fun to watch Trevor Lawrence's progression, especially under Doug Peterson, yep. and seeing what he's been able to do and give these young quarterbacks time to really develop in a system, but also build a system around them and help them. Is that something that you think approach wise is what the other NFL teams should be doing? Or do you see some circumstances where they just kind of bring in a quarterback and say, best of luck. And if you're not able to accomplish this quickly, you're done. Well, if you again, you don't they don't get much time themselves. So the clock is ticking. So coaches really are in a position where if you can't get the job done at the rate or in the manner in which they needed to, they they have to go in a different direction. Now, sometimes you are you, you're stuck with the guy you have, and you don't have any other options, and so you got to go with the, the 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 new New York Jets are a prime example of that. They don't want Zach Wilson to start, but what other options do they have? That's the best option of of all of the options. So, you go with the guy that you have to go with, but. It is. It's not a lot of time. It's not a lot of teaching. It's not a lot of learning. And it is extremely hard, especially coming from an offense, like I said, where the quarterback may only have one read. It may be an RPO, a run-pass option, where we're either going to run this ball if there are five or six in the box, and we're going to pass it if there are seven in the box, and I know exactly which receiver I'm going to pass it to because he's running the route that's going to complement this run game. So 
that changes from taking a, a five-step drop. And now you have to decipher what coverage is in front of you, and the routes can change depending on the coverage, and the coverages change as you're dropping back. There is so much to figure out trying to understand an offense in the NFL that, you know, it, it, it's unfortunate that some of these guys don't get the opportunity, but those that do it well have a lot of success. In an ideal world is the way Mahomes was developed. They gave him a year with behind Alex Smith. Is that the ideal that's, scenario? That's wonderful, but uh, Jordan Love had had three years. Right. So, yeah. yeah. But it, it, it's, a, it's about the player. It's about the, I, I, the it seems ability. Like he, now, C.J. Stroud is doing great. Yeah. But I think some quarterbacks need, and Jordan Love probably will never turn out to be great, but some players need that protection and can't, shouldn't walk into a situation where they're just going to get killed right off the no, bat. No, you don't want to put them in a position where they can get hurt, where they're getting blitzed and the line can't block because now they become what you saw of Sam Darnold when he, which I still hate to this day that they actually aired that, but he said, I'm seeing ghosts because mm-hmm. he's seeing things that aren't there. It wasn't meant in the way that, that they took it. But he's seeing things that aren't there because he's getting so much pressure in his face. You start to look at the rush. So if you want to have a young quarterback have success, you need to have an offensive line that is going to protect him, a veteran offensive line that will keep him upright, keep him clean and not have multiple defenders in his face every snap. If you can do that, he can start to learn how to progress and process things down the field. I was just thinking about Will Levis and watching him against the Steelers. I mean, he was getting demolished. And meanwhile, you had like your O-lineman dropping like flies. I'm like, stay in the game. Just one last one because it plays into this. But the whole Blaine Gabbert, when I'm looking at this, of a quarterback that didn't get into the best situation, what do you guys think of that? Because I think just the outside perspective was that he was a dud. It was a waste of a first-round pick. But then if you really look into it, it wasn't a good situation that he went in. Into. He had no chance. That was the lockout year, so the coaches couldn't talk to the players. And they bring him in, and he he's that college spread offense guy. Never mm-hmm. had a playbook at Mizzou. And, they just, and they've got an, a bridge quarterback in David Garrard. And they decide, idiots, uh, that, okay, we're going to play him right away. He hasn't talked to our coaches. He has three weeks to learn the entire offense. And... He, he's plugged into that starting role with a bad team. I mean, there's a reason that you're the 10th pick in the draft, and he just never had a chance there. He was he was done a huge disservice. Let, let's also remember that just because they are coaching in the NFL, they aren't all great coaches. Yeah, right, <laughs> Some right. of those guys stink, and they couldn't they would not be able to tell you right from left. Mm-hmm. So just because you are, are a player that is struggling, sometimes you go to a staff that's struggling worse than you are, and you're with a coaching staff that you're looking at like you don't know what the hell is going on and how do you expect me to know so that's part of it as well finding a great coaching staff quarterbacks position players guys that can that they can teach teach the job too well take the time to teach it and go out there and have success one quick note here the two Super Bowl quarterbacks Jalen Hurts the the last most recent Super Bowl Jalen Hurts started four games as a rookie had 148 passing attempts and Patrick Mahomes started one as a rookie with 35 passing attempts. They let those guys marinate on the bench and learn and then plugged them in when the time was right. That's Brooke. That's Carrie. I'm Randy. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line, 314-399-9646, 314-399-YO-HO. Take it or leave it next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Time for Take It or Leave It. Want to say something? Put it out there. If you like it, you can take it. If 
you don't, set it right back. Get your text in to 314-399-9646 and give us your take it or leave it. Brought to you by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. That's my final offer. Take it or leave it. Brooke Grimsley, Carrie Davis, Randy Carricker, Matthew Rocchio. Time for Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. We were talking during the break about Craig Council being hired by the Cubs after managing the Milwaukee Brewers. In 2014, after the 2014 season, the Cubs hired the manager of the Tampa Bay Rays, Joe Madden, who had opted out of his contract. They won the World Series in 2016 in his second season there. Take It or Leave It, the Cubs win the World Series in 2025 under Craig Council. <laughs> Leave it. I'm going to have to. Well, who's, what pitchers are they bringing in? Because I, I assume that if you're going to bring <laughs> in Craig ones. Council, would you sign a Yamamoto or even Aaron Nola? Or maybe next year you've got Corbin Burns on your side when he's a free agent. Oh. Are, the, are the Cubs in the Yamamoto waters? In the Nola they water. Are. Seems like everybody is. I would just yeah. throw my own name in there just to say that I tried. Think, right. Yeah. Do you think the Cardinals get any of those guys? Yamamoto? Hard now. Any of them. No. I think they would have had a, great. <laughs> I, I think they would have had a better chance had Urias not gotten in trouble and Otani so, not gotten Ohtani hurt. Otani got hurt. Yep, that kind of dampered things yeah. a little bit. But we'll get a, we'll get like a Frankie Montas. We'll get some we'll get some guys coming off injuries. All right, well, maybe uh, the, the the old A's guys. We'll, we'll, we'll get Manaya. You know when he was he was a hot commodity three years ago. <laughs> Speaking of starting rotation, so we we hear the Cardinals and. The payroll will not increase. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. Maybe it'll be the same as this year. Who knows? We'll figure all that out once they decide who they're signing. Take it or leave it. The starting rotation by May looks like Graceffo, McGreevy, Michaelis, Mats, and whomever they get in free agency. Take it. Oh, I'm going to leave it. No. By oh, no. May? Thompson's got to be pitching. Uh, okay. Oh, or Dakota Hudson. Or Dakota Hudson. One of the seven. Yeah. One of those. Uh, okay, well, then, yeah. hell. Let's just say Graceffo, McGreevy, Michaelis, Matson, Thompson. Yeah, they're, they're starting pitcher that they sign. He's in the pen. There you go. <laughs> or on the aisle. Okay. Graceffo's not going to be here. Do you, Where is he do you in, in May? By May. Well, why I think not? we'll see him in September when you just need to get okay. some looks. Mm-hmm. Take, take McGreevy and. Michaelis and Mets, and then put Thompson and Dakota Hudson. I would have loved to have seen them towards the end of the season here, McGreevy nice. and Graceffo, just so that we could really get a grasp. But that's also well, concerning because if they were ready, how, why didn't how, we see them? If you did that, then what was Yakub Barnes going to go, Brooke? Oh, I forgot about him. <laughs> Yakub, we hardly knew you, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how will we remember the Yakub Barnes era? Remember that the, we changed his name. Remember the, remember <laughs> the way he pitched in Game Five. Now it, it was, was it was Game, game five, five in the month of September. Oh, okay, <laughs> and he allowed four runs and uh, and five hits in two thirds of an inning. Oh, but no. how will we remember? No. Yakub, swell guy apparently. Sure, good number sixty one. One of the best number sixty ones ever for the Cardinals. <laughs> Yakub, hardly knew you. Miss you. Oh man, been, I'm gonna have fun. to leave that one. Well, I'm gonna go with. <laughs> can, we write, can we start writing our stuff down? Yeah. We need a board. Leave it with uh, sticky notes so we can write it down and see how it comes to fruition. And then burn it when it yeah, when it doesn't work out. It. No, when it does, burn, when it does work, we get a, a prize. <laughs> Steelers jersey. I like that. Take, take it or leave it, guys. I'm gonna stick with pitching too. 
Sonny Gray will be the big pitcher that they land. Sonny came home. I'm going to take that. I, got I think it's going to be it. Sonny gonna, Gray, Tyler Glass now, yeah. and then some swing man, apparently. Yeah. They're, they're going to sell him as their number one guy, and then they're going to go like 13 and 16 in September, and he's going to be the face of the collapse. Yeah. <laughs> There's no doubt. There's you. You've got it nailed. They, it's gonna be Sunny Gray, right? I mean, just, well, I mean, if it's not Sunny Gray, then just look who at the, else? just look at the the Gould article. They plan to pursue Nola and Yoshimoto. They plan to offer Sunny Gray. Uh, there's okay, there's so, definitely a difference. Uh, let's throw some names out there. Uh, number one, Jordan Montgomery. Nope. Nope. No. Sean, Sean Mania. Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> Carlos Carrasco. No. No. Yeah. They're gonna try to sell uh, Lucas Giolito. <laughs> Uh, let's see. The, Kyle million. Gibson. There's a Cardinal for you. Big league impact guy. Lives in the area. Love Kyle. He had a great year for Baltimore. Does he oh. cost like $8 million? Yeah. Yeah. Kyle, that's I know you're get, tuned in. That's how you get three or four pitchers under four, yep. under $50 million. He made, Yeah, he made eight and a half last year. So yeah, he, 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 fits, he fits some old. Uh, one of T-Bone's favorites, James Paxton. No. Michael Lorenzen. He can hit also. Fits the uh, versatility mold for the Cardinals. Rich Hill, a lot of people on the Rich Hill bandwagon yeah. at the age of 43. <laughs> what? Hey, he did well against the Cardinals no, this season. Hell Don't you no. remember that? Carrie, you remember? Hey, Carrie was like, going to that's walk too close to my age. I'm going to say we're 42. Okay, I got, I, got, I got three more for you. What the hell are we doing? Local product and a new, newly minted world champion, Jake Odorizzi. Yes. What, what, I thought you were going to say Max Scherzer. Uh... Uh, no. Okay. Well, number one, Max is he, he's under contract with the Ranger, but he's not. We're trade for, for him. He's not. No, he he would not accept okay. that trade. Uh, okay, Michael Walker. I'll take Michael Walker. Frankie yeah. Montas. Uh, and what's the? Isn't that? <laughs> Here's one more. What's the child actor? Oh, name? the Frankie, Frankie uh, Munoz, yes. Munoz, yeah. Munoz, or then, something uh, like that. Kenta Maeda. How is he doing acting yep. and that? Maeda, Kenta Maeda, um, Kenta Maeda. You like him? No, I like Aaron Ola. I don't yeah, think. No. I, I'm starting to feel like that's not going to happen. How about bring Luke Weaver back? I'm okay. I'll pass. How about bringing Mike Myers back? Oh, man, my. What is what? what uh, Didn't he have like one of the? Was he the one that had one of the worst like rookie starting pitching moments? Or am I just imagining? Uh, no, he again, Sunday night baseball against the Dodgers like the worst ever. Yeah, it was uh, it was epic in the can, worst way. Uh, yeah, because <laughs> epic can sometimes mean good things, but that was not okay. I got to find this for you, and uh, Matthew, we'll get to the text in just one moment. Okay, so uh, game logs was it 2016 for Mike against the, for the Cardinals against the Doyers? Um. Yes, it was. Uh, major League debut. Ooh, uh, an inning and a third, nine runs on eight hits in his major league debut. Walked a couple, brutal. struck out one. Earned run average after the game sixty point seven five. They just kept the camera just kept going back to his family mm-hmm. in the stands. It was yeah. so brutal. In his face, I oh. I vividly remember that. It was so painful. And then in his next appearance. Uh, he got the win with an inning of solid work. And then in his third major league appearance against <laughs> Milwaukee, he goes an inning and allows six runs on five hits. <laughs> and, and his ERA went to 40.5. 
40.5. It started off at 60.7. So we went oh, down. no. Yeah. I, carry a, a I pitch, guess that's a, pitcher a positive. With a 40.5 ERA or a pitcher who's 40.5 years old. <laughs> give, me <laughs> 20, give me the 40.5 year old. Okay, then. Oh, can I add one? Uh, can I add, make this a happy story at the end? Mike Myers has turned into a really good major league pitcher. Yeah. Uh, he, he pitches a lot of games. Uh, 2021 Angels, 72 games, 3.84 earned run average. A year before that with the Angels, 29 games, uh, 2-0 with a, a 2.10. Kind of rough these last couple of years, but he's had a decent major league career. Okay, what the Cardinals developed him well? Uh, well, um, they, they brought him up. This is an ultimate proof that no matter what we say, it will make some person who's listening angry. Okay. Take it or leave it. People shouldn't complain about the sun in their face. Heck, you could be in Alaska with no sun. I would. Uh, That's a that. thought. Yeah. Uh, I, I would I'll say that, that you're 100. However, right about that. you stand outside or in a room with the sun in your face all day and tell me how you feel. <laughs> That's a, that person. Hey, I could always be in Alaska where there's no sun at all. <laughs> He's a cup half full kind of guy, or cup uh, half empty. That cup yeah. half empty. I, I got the sun. I can have the sun shining in my eyes. I love the sun. It's good for they you. They do Vitamin get sun, D. though. It's like six months, no sun, and then six months of sun, right? Sunny King. That's weird. Sunny Take it or leave it. Vampire <laughs> movies. You remember that? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Take it or leave it out of the three great Packers quarterbacks. Brett Favre's number one. Brett Favre. No. Who, who, I'm uh, going to leave it. Uh, Jordan Love. Yeah, yeah. Right. They're talking about Jordan Love. <laughs> oh, Magic Man. <laughs> I don't think they're talking about Don Mikowski Mac- either. Don Horn? No. Lynn Dickey? No, 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 none of those guys. Scott Hunter? <laughs> yeah. A little bit. No, you're getting warm. Matt right Hasselbeck? Nah, you're going the wrong direction. Mm. <laughs> Take it or leave it. 80 uh, degrees. Bart Starr? Yeah. Is that, that, is that our third? Star. Yeah. I think that's the one they're referring to. Okay. Who's the best? Star or Favre? Aaron Rodgers. As much as you, Rogers, as much Rogers, as you is the most talented by it's far. A, it's A-A-Ron. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, by t- the way, Josh Allen is Brett Favre. I said that in the show, and I'm sticking by it. Josh so wait, Allen is So Brett you rank Favre. it what? Star, then Rogers, or Rogers, Star? Rogers, Favre, Star. Favre, Star. Oh, okay. oh, that means Wyoming's about to get one hell of a volleyball f- facility. Oh, oh yeah, right. He's not that type of Brett Favre. Come on, <laughs> sorry, I couldn't talk about on the field. I really couldn't well help myself well as soon as Randy said it. Take it or leave it. Eighty degrees on the golf course today in November. Maybe global warming isn't as bad as you think. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take it's that. Climate change I, I now, that, right, guys? I, I Are you going that. to play golf? You bet I you am. You out of here. You guys can plan tomorrow. Show yourself. I'll tell you right now on the air. You guys plan tomorrow. Show yourselves. You're out of here. And I'll just I'll walk 10, in tomorrow. You're going. Ten oh five. I'm out of here. Is it really going to be eighty degrees today? Yeah. Record oh high. My God. Record high for St. Louis. What? Yep. Climate change is not yeah, oh, crazy. Like yesterday you know, when I had shorts on. Yeah, shorts now, no. I, I, I say this with all due respect, and Carrie, yeah. I, I know that you'll agree with it. To hell with our kids. We aren't going to be around, so we're going to enjoy the warm weather. <laughs> Randy! I'm just saying. Am I wrong? Randy, no! Leave it. Leave it. Leave it. Randy taking a direct shot at his future grandchildren. It's not something I saw coming. Hey, you know, the world's not going to be around for them. <laughs> I'm wow. just saying. Enjoy it while you can. Were you yeah. the one that texted in about Antarctica? Because now it's sounding like a yeah. glass half empty over there. I, I was, uh, as you guys know, I was in Alaska for uh, for 9/11 and it was uh, it was light all the time it yeah. was the the as a matter of fact I went went on a bike ride to like 11 p.m yeah, six six months yeah. out of the year it's like sunlight all yeah it was all, very cool all day and then I think dark all day yeah 
So you think you can ever live in like a place like those like those places like really far north in like Sweden and Finland and stuff where they like they'll have like a three month period where the sun does not rise. They don't even have have college sports. Have you ever heard of uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania? came out, man. It was... Oh, my God. You again, huh? Oh, let me interest you in Pittsburgh. It didn't appear to be a great day for the Cardinals yesterday because they told us, A, that they're not going to do anything with their co- coaching staff, maybe add some, some, more, well, some more people. I'm not going to... I'm not going to make editorial comments at the so moment. So nobody's getting rehomed. No. And they are probably going to maintain payroll similar to what it was last year. We want to hear from you. We've got the mic drop open with the 101 ESPN app. We've got the text line open, 314-399-9646-314-399. yo You on the Cardinals next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Day's top stories. It's the opening drive's fresh take. Opening drive on 101 ESPN, 807 time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex Jeweler. We're throwing stuff around here in the studio. Everything is is just going swimmingly. And I'm jersey free now? Uh, yeah, no more Kerry Davis Super Bowl jersey for Brooke Grimsley, who lost the bet and for the first hour wore her, uh, well, Kerry's Kerry Davis jersey. But there is video evidence now. Uh, and a photo. And a photo that is up on, on the gram. You can uh, follow me at RJ Carricker on the Insta. And you can follow Brooke. You're Brooke Grimsley on the Insta, yeah, correct? I just keep it simple. Yeah. It, it felt nice, Randy, I will say. And look, the Titans lost, so I will stick to the bet, of course. It was painful to put it on at first, but then it felt nice just for a moment to feel what it was like to be a Super Bowl champ, mm-hmm. to root for a team that actually has won, <laughs> won those. Pretty so. cool. Yeah. <laughs> it is. And they won six of them. <laughs> yeah. All right. Can uh, they text. just give one to the Titans? Yeah. Text from the 618. Even if a team is in a desperate situation, they'll play the role of everything is fine. They almost have to. Well, yeah, but I think the Cardinals are underestimating the intelligence of their fan base here. I I think they're trying to sell us something that people that are observant are pretty aware of is not going to happen. The Cardinals, if they maintain payroll and they maintain the same coaching staff, what makes anybody think they're going to get better? That's a great question. Yeah. No, it's a very good question because when you also have the rumors floating around there about Yadier Molina, and I know that you'll get into that, Yadier Molina possibly becoming the coaching staff. Don't you remember the photo with the season ticket? What was it when they were putting out that announcement and the four was highlighted? Mm -hmm. That sounds to me like you were trying to promote some of the season ticket sales. And I understand that things change and maybe you look at the market and you see that there's not as many starting pitchers available. But when you say that you're going to do one thing, and this has been a consistent issue all season really and for I would even say maybe the past few years if you say you're going to do one thing and then the messages keep changing that is what really bothers me and that's why I think having some sort of press conference at the end one would 
recognize the fans' frustrations and saying, look, like we understand, and this is what we're going to do. You don't have to lay everything out perfectly, but have a clear message on what you are going to address and what you're going to look to bring into the organization to make fans understand that this won't happen again. And by not doing that and only talking to certain reporters, it makes it look like you don't know exactly what the plan is going to be this offseason. Or you don't want to answer the, the questions as to what the plan would be this offseason. Uh, or you do know, like I said, and don't want to talk to anyone about mm-hmm. it. And I think I think Cardinal fans, we get you know frustrated because we look at it as this is our team. We love the Cardinals. We want to see them succeed. And maybe everyone doesn't look at it like that. Maybe some people look at it as a business. And maybe they feel like running your business does not really matter how your consumer feels about every decision that you make. Mm-hmm. And so if they're looking at it as we're running a business to try to make money, and if we win a championship along the way, beautiful. Yeah. If not, our ultimate goal is to make money. Then that may be the frustration that Cardinal fans are feeling because it doesn't feel like a Cardinal team that is trying to win championships, but that may not be the ultimate goal. And that should be troubling for the organization. Let's hear a mic drop from Lisa here on 101 ESPN. Morning, faves. So let's get real straight here. When the Cardinals started to get better in the 80s, what was the first thing they did? Whitey Herzog. When they got better in the mid-90s, what's the first thing they did? Hire Tony LaRussa. What the Cubs did yesterday and they handled it very professional with David Ross in the sense they flew to Florida to make sure they didn't fire him over the phone. They're serious about winning because you need a strong head of the snake. See, Craig Council is going to have collaboration efforts because he knows, he knows that if they don't collaborate, he will be wanted somewhere else. Unlike when we hire all these managers that have no experience, they have to like succumb to everything because they're so appreciative of having the job. Chicago Cubs, I'm not a fan of you, but what you did yesterday, getting the the best you could get at the lead position in your dugout that's going to have a voice with collaboration because it's going to be demanded the same way it is in Florida with Skip Schumacher. This right now, they're not committed to winning. So honestly, we just don't have to spend our money. Committed to winning. And that's the best way if things continue into next season where you're going to have another trajectory like what we saw this year. And it was pretty early on that you could tell that something was not working for the Cardinals. That is the best course of action as a fan is to not show up. And I think that when Mosellock talked in that quote about the ticket sales because of the losing season, yes, because of the product that was put on the field and not seeing the adjustments made during the offseason, going into the season, during the season, it felt like it was just a train wreck that nobody was really stopping mm-hmm. through the course of this year. And you could see a lot of the certain things coming, even the handling of the messages and the whole, you know, Wilson Contreras situation, which I know that that is something that Mosaic addressed, that they did talk to Wilson Contreras and they do have him being their starting catcher moving forward. Thank you. That's what you should be doing. I was really worried because, as we know, the rumors were out there that possibly they'd be talking to him about being an outfielder again. Mm-hmm. And those were actual rumors that were a part of the conversation. It wasn't things that you know people were just saying to say. It was because it was something that was actually being possibly looked into. Thank you. You should have clear and defined roles going into the season for every single player. I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's we have to take the wait-and-see approach and not get too frustrated with what you're hearing or not hearing. Just kind of wait and see how this team goes about their business in, in 2024 because 
Last year, I think we all went into the season excited. You, you had Jordan Walker, who was going to be the rookie phenom, who was going to be here all year. Then he got sent down. You got Wilson Contreras in the offseason. There was a, a, a hoopla and hubbub about him being here, and, oh, he's not going to be our starting catcher. You have pitchers that didn't perform to the level of their uh, that they were expected to perform. It was just – it was almost like everything that could go wrong did go wrong. You had injuries again to Tyler O'Neill, which who would have thought that, right? You, you, it just everything that, that could happen happened last year. And so I think going into 2024, maybe the Cardinals are, are, are one of two things. Maybe they don't care about the fan base or maybe they just don't want to make any projections or predictions because they don't want it to turn bad. Last year, we, we got six starters. Actually, no, nah, we don't. We didn't have six starters. We didn't have six guys. We didn't have three guys that you could roll out there every every fifth day and, and trust that they were going to do the job successfully. So, you know, maybe they are, are maybe for once, they're over under, under promising and going to over deliver in that regard. And I get that things happen, right? You can't account for every little thing that is going to happen. You can't just go in with a complete map and say this, this, and this is going to happen on this day, this month. But at the same time, I look at the Rangers and the way that they were able to navigate through so much adversity over the years, but also keeping that same aggressive approach this season when you have DeGrom, when he gets injured, they were able to navigate through all of those really tough, choppy waters. That's what I think that a lot of people would at least like to see. You don't maybe have to go out and spend and be as aggressive as the Rangers. As much as I would like to go and sign Yamamoto, I get that that now looking at this is going to be out of their price range, but I think that it would at least get more butts in the seats, consistently have butts in the seats, if you know that your team is doing everything possible to be aggressive. Because when you look now at the Cubs and what they're doing, like Lisa said, bring in Craig Council. They'll probably keep Cody Bellinger, and then you're going to go out and get, I'm assuming, one of those marquee starting pitchers that's scary if you're the Cardinals mm-hmm. and you look and you see what everybody else is doing in the yeah, division. Albert Pujols isn't walking through that door for the Cardinals. Coming up on 101 ESPN, the Blues take on the Jets tonight over at Enterprise Center. And our friend John Kelly, the voice of the Blues on Valley Sports, joins us next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. Presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors, a proud partner of your St. Louis Blues. Find your perfect new floor at our four convenient locations and online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. and the Jets tonight. You'll hear the action here on 101 ESPN, 7 o'clock with the face-off. You can also see the game on Bally Sports with John Kelly and Jamie Rivers and the TV voice of the Blues. John Kelly joins us now on the opening drive. Good morning, sir. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you guys today? Everything's good. So, uh, JK, what do you think the difference was? Obviously, two wins in a row for the Blues. What do you think the difference was on Friday and Saturday, if there was one, as opposed to the first eight games of the season? Well, they've continued their strong defensive play, Randy, and they played two uh, very fast teams, uh, especially the Devils on Friday night. And, you know, they hung with them speed-wise, and obviously they won both games. And I I guess the biggest difference, obviously, is the Blues scored a lot of goals. And, you know, they got 10 goals on the weekend, so that's obviously a, a lot of fun for the fans and the players. So it was only a matter of time, Randy, that, you know, the likes of Shannon and Cairo were going to break out, and you know, the Blues right now are 5-4-1, and one, and obviously they've won two in a row, and that's great. 
But when you consider that, you know, quite honestly, you know, Buchnevich and Cairo and Shen haven't really put up huge numbers this year, and, and they're going to score, you know, 20, 30 goals and maybe more, at least Cairo for sure. Um, you know, I think it's pretty positive because defensively they're the, they're the sixth best team in the league right now. So if they can continue that and, you know, be a top 10 defensive team and get these guys scoring at sort of a normal pace, um, that's a real positive. J.K., they got 35 shots on goal both of those games. Was that something uh, more of a concerted effort to get more shots on goal uh, in those games this past weekend? Yeah, I, I really do think it's a couple of things, Kerry. I think that Coach Berubia has harped on that, you know, since the start of the year when, when early on they weren't getting hardly any shots. And he doesn't like teams wasting shots. I, I mean, by that I mean, you know, shooting from the boards and things like that where you're not going to really score. Um, but he certainly wants more volume and, you know, getting people to net deflections and rebounds and things like that. And I think the other reason why the shot totals were up is they played two teams in New Jersey and Montreal that, that are speed teams that like to, to score off the rush and things like that. So it was, it was a game that sort of lent itself to the Blues having a lot of chances off the rush, and they did, and obviously they performed and scored a lot of goals. J.K., what did you think of Kevin Hayes' performance this past week, and especially in that Devils game, three points for him? It seems like he really needed this to kind of break out for the Blues. Yeah, Brooke, obviously every player, you know, needs confidence. And, and he had not scored a goal and, and had a really good game. And, you know, right now they, they have Kevin with some fast players uh, with, with Torovchenko and Verona. Um, because he, he's not the quickest guy, as we know. And as the coach has said a number of times this year, um, the key for Kevin Hayes is to move his feet. When he moves his feet and gets going and, and goes to the net and things like that, uh, he can be very effective. And he, he had 18 goals last year, so he knows how to score goals. So I think that's the key for him. But, you know, he's a, he's a skilled player and he can make plays and things like that. So it was good to see him break out. But any player obviously needs to score goals to have confidence. John, last last year, things kind of spun out of control early for the Blues after the three games to start the season. They went on the, the long losing streak. If the playoffs started today, the Blues would be in them. Do you think it's important, because I do, for the Blues to maintain uh, not necessarily a playoff position, but maintain a spot to make a run for the playoffs for the entire season? Well, no question. That's the goal. I mean, I think the goal of every single team going into the season is to make the playoffs, number one. I mean, look at the Edmonton Oilers right now. Again, they lost last night in Vancouver. I think they have two wins this year. And a lot of people thought that the Oilers were a prime Stanley Cup contender. Well, right now, the goal for Edmonton is to make the playoffs because they're in a big hole. So that's number one. And you're right. The Blues right now sit in a wild card spot. And if they win tonight over the Jets, they'll vault into third place in the division, a point ahead of the Jets. So, I mean, this is a huge week for the Blues point-wise, standings-wise. They play the Jets, Coyotes, and Avalanche, all three divisional games. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's obviously important that the Blues get as many wins as they, they want. And, again, to me, the number one goal of Doug Armstrong and Coach Berube and the players is to make the playoffs and then you go from there. And, and my point there, I think a lot of us, because I did last year, we looked back at 2019 when the Blues were out of it at the beginning of the calendar year and then got back into it, but that obviously is the exception. If you're going to be a playoff team, generally you're around a playoff spot for most of the season. Yeah, I think that the rule of thumb, Randy, is that 
if you're in a playoff spot by Thanksgiving, then normally you make the playoffs. Not always, but normally you do. So, uh, you know, again, a team like Pittsburgh missed the playoffs last year. They had made the playoffs for uh, whatever, 15 years in a row. So you can never assume anything. Um, But it's sort of funny that every year it seems – that you know, five or six teams that made it the year before don't make it the next year. Um, just when you think that you know, going into a season that you know this team's a lock to make it or that team, well, guess what? They're not a lock. <laughs> Again, I go back to Edmonton. You know, they're they're in they're in crisis mode right now. Uh, the way they're playing, and obviously they're in trouble right now. So um, that's why these early wins are important. And I think. I think, you know, looking back at last year, Randy, you mentioned that eight-game losing streak. I think the Blues lost their confidence last year and fell so behind the eight ball that they never really regained their swagger that they had two years ago when they had 109 points. And that's why that's a big reason why they missed last year. J.K., we had Robert Thomas on last week, and I asked him, did he feel like they were being a little too unselfish, passing the puck, just that one extra pass as opposed to shooting? Do you feel like they, that they needed to be a little bit more selfish, and do you think that that is a, can be a good thing? Well, I, I, I've been saying for a couple of years now with you know some of the players the Blues have developed and even acquired, a guy like Pavel Buchnevich, and, and they have some skill and probably have more skill than teams think and players think. But this team does does tend to overpass. And, you know, that's sort of a thing they have to overcome. And at times they're they're guilty of that. But, you know, we saw in the last game, for instance, Robert Thomas uh, scored the Blues' second goal, you know, on a shot from the deep slot that, you know, in games past he might have passed up the shot and and looked for the next play. Uh, So I do think that the team at times is guilty. so I think sometimes they need to be more selfish and take more shots. So that's the that's the short answer. Yes, they do. Mm-hmm. J.K., not necessarily a question, but more of a statement. Isn't it just nice after the two games this past weekend, if it seems like the only positive that we've had to really talk about is Jordan Bennington and even Joel Hofer. It's nice, right, to be able to kind of talk about some of the other guys who are coming through for the Blues, right? Well, exactly. It's a team game. And, you know, let's face it, Joel Hofer and, and, and Jordan Bennington can't, can't win games single-handedly every single night. Even though I mentioned the Blues right now are, I believe, sixth defensively in the NHL, um, you've got to score goals in this league. This this league is about speed and skill and offense. And, again, I think the Blues have probably better speed than teams think they do. Um, they, they have a lot of speed on the wings, and they really showed that, I think, Saturday night against the Montreal Canadiens. And, you know, I think the team has got some confidence now. And I was at practice yesterday, and it was a, it was a spirited practice, hardworking, but the guys were having fun um, because, let's face it, in sports, winning is fun. And, you know, the guys are feeling better about themselves than they did, say, last weekend after losing in Vancouver 5 to nothing. So um, winning can do that, and scoring goals can do that, and now the, the challenge is to keep it up. Um, for these three games this week, the the three divisional games that they have. Starting with tonight against the Winnipeg Jets, and uh, you will be able to tune in to Bally Sports, John Kelly and Jamie Rivers tonight. J.K., always good to have you with us. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Okay, have a good week. You too. Take care. John Kelly with us on the opening drive on 101 ESPN. Coming up, uh, Matthew, do you need a fighter? 
Yes. All you need to do then, Matthew does need a fighter. He says, uh, yeah. Yes. Te- text in 314-399-9646. Yes. 314-399. Yo-ho! <laughs> with your name and the word fight. Matthew, would you like that if somebody would text in? And, uh, you know what, Randy? I would love it. <laughs> okay. What in the world was that? <laughs> enthusiasm. We, we like enthusiasm the in the room. Well, because the first time is it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the energy. That's the rock I know. Yeah, let's do the fight, guys. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> the fight is next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Fight in the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Carricker. the opening drive. I'm Kerry Davis, joined by Brooke Grimsley, and it is time for the fight. And our fighter today is Corey. Corey, how you doing? Doing good. How are you guys? I'm doing good. well. Sometimes I get called Corey. Corey? <laughs> I see it on the text line. You get everything. I've seen every possible spelling Carrie of Kerry. with a K, K-A-R-I, K-E-R-R-I. It's amazing. Corey, are you ready to take on Randy Carricker? Let's do it. All right, here we go. Last night, Keenan Allen made an insane catch to pass 10,000 yards receiving for his career. Who was the only other Charger to reach that milestone with the franchise? Was it uh, Kellen Winslow, Keenan McCardell, or Antonio Gates? Antonio Gates. Happy birthday to former St. Louis Rams, Sam Bradford. When Bradford won the Offensive Rookie of the Year, who led the Rams in receptions and receiving yards? Was it Steven Jackson, Brandon Gibson, or Danny Amendola? Danny Amendola. Last night, Joel Embiid set a 76ers record with a 29-point quarter. Which active player holds the NBA record for points in a quarter with 37? Is it James Harden, Clay Thompson, or Paul George? Mm. Clay Thompson. The list of blue skaters to tally 70-plus assists in a season is short. It's Adam Oates, Bernie Federko, and who else? Craig Janey, Blake Dunlop, or Doug Gilmore? Oof. Doug Gilmore. <laughs> All right, we'll double check our score and we will bring in Randy Carricker. Corey, how you feel? All over the board, huh? Kind of 50 50. Well, yeah, that was, uh, that was all over. He had a lot of different questions there. There was a lot <laughs> happening there. Yes. A little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. Rock is uh, good for that. Randy is walking in with his. He got some paperwork what here. What are you at? studying? Uh, it's just just, uh, oh, just commercials. Yep. Okay. He's uh, you're always you're studying, man. You always are prepared for the job, Randy, huh? I try to be. That's good. Not Randy, always, yeah, I not always am, but I try. Good job. Randy. Sometimes try harder than others. Say hello to Corey, not Carrie. Corey, not Carrie. Good morning. How you doing? Good. Good morning to you, Randy. How are you? Doing terrific. Thank you very much for listening, and thank you for participating in the fight. We're glad that you are. Thank you. All right, Randy, you ready? I'm ready, sir. Last night, Keenan Allen made an insane catch to pass 10,000 yards receiving for his career. Who was the only other Charger to reach that milestone with the franchise? Okay, so uh, I don't think John Jefferson did. I don't think Charlie Joyner did. <coughs> the, the stock answer for me would probably be Kellen Winslow. Um, 
I don't think Keenan McCardell played long enough with them. They didn't really have a great receiver in that Schottenheimer era when their teams were really good. And obviously LT was putting up all of the yards on the ground there. I think I'll go back to Eric Coriel, and I will go with Kellen Winslow, the first. Mizzou product, Hall of Famer. Happy birthday tomorrow because we keep getting texts that it's tomorrow. Happy birthday to former St. Louis Ram, Sam Bradford. When Bradford won the Offensive Rookie of the Year, who led the Rams in receptions and receiving yards? Uh, Sammy, 2010. Receptions and receiving yards. Uh, This is an interesting question because uh, I don't even know who was here in 2010. Um, (laughs) So they, they didn't have Mike Sims Walker yet, the, the, that era, error. Uh, you know who I'm going to go with? I'm going to go with Danny Amendola. I'm going to go with Danny Amendola. I don't know if it's correct. I don't even know if he was here in 2010, but I'm going with it. Final answer. Last night, Joel Embiid set a 76ers record with a 29-point quarter. Which active player holds the NBA record for points in a quarter with 37? 37 points in one quarter. I am going to... Uh, you know what? I have a name in my mind, and if it's on the lifeline, I'm going to use it. So go ahead. James Harden, Clay Thompson, Paul George. Okay, my guy wasn't there. I was thinking Dame. Oh. Dame Dalla? I am going to go. Uh, I, I'm not going to go with Clay, even though he probably is the answer. So my other two are Harden. <laughs> the rock, look at you. I don't know. Harden and uh, who? Okay? Harden and uh, Paul George. I'm not going to go with Paul George. Hmm. That uh, maybe I am going to go with Calais. You know what? I will go with Calais because uh, Calais. Because there were times where Steph. I was thinking, okay, he wouldn't have been able to do it because Steph was going to take a bunch of shots in a quarter. But there were obviously a lot of times where Steph wasn't playing. So I'm going to go with Calais Thompson. <laughs> Calais. Calais. <laughs> I'm sorry. Calais. I almost choked. Uh, the list of blue skaters to tally 70 plus assists in a season is short. Adam Oates, Bernie Federko, and who else? 70 assists in a season. Okay, I've got uh, two names here. I'm either going with Gilmore or Pavel. And I think I'm going to go. I think. Uh, I think I'm going to go. Oh, you know what? Janny was there too. Darn it! I forgot about Craig Janny. I'll go Craig Janny. We have another tie, ladies and gentlemen. Back-to-back fights to start the week with tiebreakers. Corey, good job forcing Randy to the tiebreaker. But to win, you're going to have to get closest to the pin on this tiebreaker question. The rules are very simple. I'm going to read out the question. We're going to give Randy Carricker a moment to write down his answer. Corey, you will then give us your answer audibly after Car- uh, after Randy has written down his answer. Then Randy can hold up his paper and he can read out his answer out loud. And then whoever's closest to the pin is going to be the winner of today's fight. Do you understand those rules, Corey? Yeah. Randy, do you understand the rules? I understand the rules, sir. Do you have paper? Have paper. 
There was a long time where I didn't ever ask you if you understood the rules. I would just ask you if you had paper. We were really flying by the seat of our pants. Yeah, we know. Now I get the <laughs> what? What is the NBA record for the most points scored by a team in one half? By one team in one half. What is the NBA record for the most points scored by a team by one team in one half of NBA basketball? What is the NBA record for the most points scored by one team Uh-oh. in one half quit working. of basketball? This is why we check. Uh, all right. What is the NBA record for the most points in one half by one team? Okay. Randy Carricker has held it up. I now see it. Corey, what is your guess? Uh, let's do 106. Corey's guess is 106. Randy Carricker, what was your guess? I guessed it 92. All right, we have a winner in today's fight. Not a lot of quick math having to do on this one, Carrie. Don't you worry about that one. We have a winner in today's fight. Back-to-back tiebreakers. Does Randy Carricker walk away with a win? Is he closer to the pin on both of them? Or is Corey able to play spoiler on a Tuesday? Ring that bell. The winner and new champion of the fight, Average Joe Listener. Record for the most points scored by one team in a half is the 1990 Phoenix Suns scored 107 points wow. in the first half of a game. Corey, you guessed 106, so you were almost right on the money. That was a great guess and a great job in the fight today. Thank you. Let's go through those questions. Let's go through those answers. You each got three correct. Last night, Keenan Allen made an insane catch past 10,000 yards for receiving for his career. The only other charger to reach that, milestone, reach that milestone with the franchise is Antonio Gates. Happy birthday to former STL Ram Sam Bradford. When Bradford won the Offensive Rookie of the Year, uh, Danny Amendola did, in fact, lead the team in receptions and yards. Last night, Joel Embiid set a 76ers record with a 29-point quarter. It is, in fact, Clay Thompson who holds the NBA record with Calais. 37. Calais, excuse Calais. me. <laughs> Calais Thompson. Gotta, I'm, that's <laughs> going to mess me up now. Uh, for points in a quarter with 37, Kalei Thompson. And the list of blue skaters to tally 70-plus assists in a season is short. Adam Oates, multiple times. Bernie Federko, multiple times. And Craig Janney, twice. And the NBA record for most points scored by one team in a half is 107. Last night, the Pacers, by the way, scoring almost 90 in a half to set their franchise record. So a 3-3 tie and then a win in the tiebreaker, which means, Corey, we will talk to you on the fight tomorrow. Sounds great. Thank you, guys. Yeah, Corey. Corey, thank you. Thanks for tuning in. And coming up next on 101 ESPN, last week was a big game for Mizzou. How big is this week's game against Tennessee? It's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. If people don't think our group's a bunch of fighters who are going to fight you tooth and nail for every inch, I mean, uh, we ain't got to prove it to y'all anyway. So, I mean, we were we we came here to win, not to keep it close, not to try to get it in the fourth quarter and see what could happen. We tried to win. We came here and played to win, and didn't quite get it done. You know, I'm not uh, I'm, I'm not deterred from what we're trying to accomplish this year. That is the head coach of the University of Missouri football team, Eli Drinkwitz, after the loss to Georgia on Saturday. And they are going to be able to accomplish what they wanted to accomplish this year because Georgia now is 6-0 in the conference. Mizzou is 3-2, and and it's highly unlikely that Georgia is going to lose three conference games. And so what Mizzou has to angle for now is a New Year's Day bowl game. All right, they aren't going to beat Georgia. They aren't going to play in the SEC championship game. If they're going to play in a New Year's Day bowl game, then this weekend's game against Tennessee is paramount. 
Mizzou and Tennessee both tied at three and two in the conference, tied at seven and two overall. Uh, Missouri is four and one at home. Tennessee is one and two on the road. This is a great opportunity for the Tigers to take that next step in program building, and they can go a long way towards doing that with a win against Tennessee. If they lose against Tennessee, then Tennessee is going to get the most advantageous bowl position when the bowl uh, when the bowl people make the, their selections. And by the way. Alabama will probably be taken, well, it'll certainly be taken ahead of Mizzou. Alabama or Georgia, whoever loses the SEC championship game. Ole Miss, LSU, on the, uh, because of the fact that they beat Mizzou. I think right now there are four teams that would play, three, I'm sorry, that would play in better bowl games than Mizzou would if Mizzou were to, if it were to happen right now. If Mizzou wins this game, I still think Alabama, Ole Miss, and LSU are ahead of Mizzou. But if they lose this game to Tennessee, then they're behind Tennessee, too, and they probably wind up in a Liberty Bowl or something like that. The the notion that this is going to be a cakewalk for Missouri is um, – I don't think that that's, that should be the thumb. Tennessee is number three in the country in running the ball. They, they run the ball really well. They are number uh, 13 in yards per game, and, and they're aver- averaging about 35 points a game. So this is a team that Missouri is going to have to take seriously. And Tennessee doesn't – the thing about college sports, really really all sports, is when you have teams that you are accustomed to beating, that mindset doesn't go away. Also, when you're accustomed to losing to a team. So I think Missouri has, has an opportunity here to, to win this game, but you have to be dialed in. You can't have a hangover from what happened last week. This is a totally new week, a totally new team. You can't have the mindset or the assumption, oh, we played the number one team in the country, the number two team in the country, t- tooth and nail, and barely lost at their home, so we should definitely go out and beat Tennessee because if that's the mindset, you won't be in a good place to win. Tennessee is going to come in here and try to punch you in the mouth early. They're going to try to run the ball down your throat and see if you can withstand that. And if you can, you put yourself in a position. But I wouldn't assume if I'm the Missouri Tigers, and I don't think that they are, but I wouldn't assume if I'm them that Tennessee is just going to lay down because of how we played last week against Georgia. And Tennessee has put up a 60-burger on Mizzou in each of the last two years. 66 last year, 62 the year before. That's exactly what I was going to say, is that that burns whenever you see what was a 66 points last season that Tennessee dropped on you. And I think that when we were talking yesterday about what Eli Drinkwitz is building here at Mizzou, so he was hired in 2019, so you can't count that SEC record Uh, to his record, obviously. But if you look at 2020, 2021, and 2022, and now this year, three and two this year in the SEC, three and five last year in the SEC, three and five in 2021, and five and five in his first year in the SEC. When you're talking about building this program under Eli Drinkwitz, you have to do better in the SEC. One, because it helps with whichever bowl you go to, as you mentioned there. But if you want to be taken a lot more seriously in the SEC, not saying that they aren't now, because they deserve all the respect in the world, especially going toe-to-toe with Georgia and you're ranked for a reason. They deserve that. But it always comes back to how are you doing against conference opponents? And Georgia, I mean, uh, Tennessee has won the last four meetings Mm -hmm. against the the Tigers. So, again, that's an entire team for the most part, that hasn't lost to the University of Missouri. They don't – that's what I'm talking about. When you are accustomed to beating a team – 
doesn't matter what that team did last week against the number one, number two team right. in the country. Your mindset is it's the same old Mizzou. And Missouri has to come out and withstand whatever Tennessee does. They will not lay down. They will not assume that Tennessee, that, that Missouri is a better team just because of how they played last week. They're going to assume Missouri is the same team that they've beaten the last four years. So mm-hmm. you have to come out and withstand. And again, here's the situation. I, I've talked about it. I talked about it prior to the Georgia game for Mizzou. They had everything in front of them. They still have everything in front of them. Now, it's not going to be an SEC championship game more than likely, but it is a New Year's six-day game. You have the potential to play in that game, but just like Illini last year, everything unraveled after one loss, and Missouri is in the same position where they could lose to Tennessee, they could then go lose to Florida, and then maybe beat Arkansas, but you're looking at instead of a 10-win season, a a 9-win season, you're looking at a potentially 8 win season and you don't want that knowing how well they have performed this whole season and Kerry I think you nailed the the essence of this game because Missouri should be able to put up points on Tennessee will Tennessee with that great running game be able to run against the nation's number 26 run defense by the way Mizzou 26th against the run Ohio State is number 27 Alabama is number 32 so a stout run defense turned out by the University of Missouri, and they're going to need to play probably their best game against the run all season long. And they do have the advantage of being at home, as we mentioned, Tennessee under 500 on the uh, uh, on the road, and Missouri is a much better team at home, and the big crowds have made a, bit, made a difference for them. Yeah, this was their fourth sellout this season. Mm-hmm. The first time since 1980, I believe, I saw is what the Mizzou put out, that they were able to do that. And that matters, too, for bowl games. But This is different. This is a different Mizzou team. I'm very impressed with Brady Cook, even with the interceptions that we talked about or the turnovers. But when you look at that Georgia game, that's what it came down to. And with SEC play, that's what it feels like, is that you do have to play a perfect game against your SEC opponents and not make those mistakes like that. Can't turn the ball over. No. You you can't turn the ball over. I said Missouri had a chance with nine minutes left in that Mm -hmm. game, down six, you got the football. You cannot turn the ball over. You have to take it the length of the field. If you want to be a championship team, if you're if that's your expectation, you can't turn the ball over in that situation. And then they held Georgia to another field goal, and then they turned the ball over again. So there were opportunities there for Missouri to win that game. It's going to be the same situation this weekend. Tennessee is going to come into to Columbia with the expectation that they're going to beat them. They're going to try to run the ball down your throat. They're going to try to physically outman you and see if you can withstand it. And then will your offense be able to take care of uh, the ball when they get an opportunity? That's Kerry. That's Brooke. I'm Randy. Mizzou and uh, Tennessee, by the way, 2.30 on CBS on Saturday. And if you're going to the sold-out game, have fun. Be loud. Tail. That's like the perfect Maybe. tailgating time. Two, two, I love 2.30 games. Yep. Maybe I'll go to Mizzou. Maybe yeah. I'll go down to Columbia. Yeah. Not to Columbia. If I don't have a game this weekend. Right, yeah. <laughs> See what I can go. Think about it. Go explore. It's a special season. Don't don't ruin one of the like, eight I, tailgating chances your daughter has by ha- making her, her party with her dad. Just let her, let her do her oh, thing. Oh, my daughter would love the party. I'm the life of the party. With oh, you are. Oh, no doubt about it. I come to the party. They're like, yeah, Mr. Davis. Let's go. All right. Woo-hoo, someone over 21. Coming up, are we less likely as the BFIB to buy 40,000 tickets a game if the Cardinals maintain their current payroll and don't increase it? That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We're recapping the biggest sports stories of the day on the Opening Drive with a Rush Hour Reset.
All right, the Cardinals, John Mozeliak, meeting with the media in Scottsdale yesterday at the annual general managers meetings for Major League Baseball. And from what we are able to gather, and we're going to talk to Katie Wu of The Athletic about this in just a few moments, but from what we are able to glean from his comments in print, the Cardinals are set to, if I, I get this correct, Tell me if you guys disagree. I, I get out of this know, that the Cardinals are prepared to go into next season with a payroll similar that they went into last season with before they made their trades of Montgomery oh. and Flaherty and DeYoung and all of those. Sure. Mm. Yeah. That's what we're taking out of it. The other part Which of it would is, give them about $44 million. Mm-hmm. Is that, the way is that, that correct? Yeah. The way that Derek in, in his article framed it was they didn't they, they expect to hit around two hundred and right now they're at one forty five. So Derek framed it as fifty five, whereas John said okay. about forty forty five. So a little discrepancy, but that's that's the window we're talking about. Fifty five can get you two starters though, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is that there's not like an exact <laughs> oh oh. But John Mosaic said it in two starters uh, like a bullpen. Get you two we'll starters. You 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 use oh. the younger guys for your bullpen. Bullpen okay, arms. That's my theory. Gould has him quoted saying they need volume, not just volume, not just quality. Jerry. They need volume of pitchers too. So it's yeah. not just going to be two starters. They got pitchers. They got pitchers waiting. Yeah, they do. They they got some guys, arms right? Do <laughs> arms in the outfield. <laughs> Why not? We tried everything else. Why not see if one of these outfielders can yeah. throw? Alec Burleson did that at one point. There you but, go. The the thing is, is why there's maybe a little bit when you're talking about rock, some discrepancy in the pay is that the payroll, there's a lot of different variables, right? So we don't know the exact amount and all the different circumstances of the deal, different things like that. And then you have guys who are injured. How does that factor in everything? So that's why you have some of the discrepancy in those numbers a little bit. But and you the can at least man get versus the 26 exactly. Man. So there's there's also that that is taken into account. But you can at least gather their thought process possibly of how they're going to approach this offseason. And to me, how I read it, the first thing I thought of is, I don't know if you can go out and get Aaron Nola or Yamamoto. Seems like they'd be out of those conversations. Maybe, maybe not. It would be more in line with getting a Sonny Gray and maybe you go out and get a Tyler Glass now and then a swingman. That's what it, I my takeaway was from Mosellock's comments yesterday. So let's hear what you guys think of this possibility. Would you be inclined to buy tickets if the Cardinals have the same payroll with the same coaching staff, which is another thing John Mozeliak mentioned yesterday, that no coaches are leaving. They might add to the coaching staff, but no coaches are leaving. They're all going to be back. Matt, what do you think? Hey, good morning, everybody. I, I just can't do this anymore. Let's face it. Joe or John Mozeliak, I don't even remember his name anymore because of what I have done is start purging him from my brain. I don't want to have a memory of him anymore. Because in a year or two, he's gone anyway. So I'm just going to go ahead and just ride off this next year. Because, let's face it, this is a record time, props to them, for walking back what they've told us all along. Hey, we're going to get starting pitching. Hey, we're going to increase our payroll. Oh, by the way, for starting pitcher, we met minor leaguers. And for payroll, we mean just getting back to the basics. So here's the deal. Let's face it. He's a snake. He's just telling us what we want to hear. And then slowly clarifying what he actually meant. Hmm. And also, is he maybe saying things? Because you do have to think, somebody texted this in earlier, and I can't find it, where the gist of it was where they were saying, wouldn't you love to be a fly on the wall for on Nolan Arenado's wall when he's hearing oh, all these quotes coming out? Because what do you think that his reaction would be? And of course, you're not basing everything off that. 
But I would imagine, as we know his history with the Rockies, Nolan Arenado coming here, and then even what happened last season, it was clear that there was some disappointment. Nolan, just like the fans and the starting pitching and maybe not being aggressive enough and making those moves to actually bring something that was a clear deficiency. I wonder how he feels about this and what he would want, because we also know that he went with Lars Newbar over to Japan, got to see mm-hmm. Yamamoto firsthand. Seeing that, a player like that, you would be like, man, I want my team to go out and sign a guy like that, right? Or maybe he's considering just signing over there. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> just staying there. I don't know about that. How about a mic drop from Christian? I don't think the Cardinals are as bad as they were and their record showed last year. And they're a lot closer to being competitive than what the fans are making it out to be. I remember there was a stat about the blown saves that they had last year. And if they had the same number of blown saves as different people in our division, record would have been, you know, in in the top half of the division and second, first. And so I I think shore up the bullpen a little bit. You get a little bit more momentum and belief, and that can go a long way. Obviously, they need to address starting pitching. But, um, again, expecting a big step forward from some guys. So I'm not as, as apocalyptic as everybody else. Wonderful. We're, uh, we're together. I need to see whack. whack. It's not mm-hmm. a bad take because you can, if you do dig in, you can find a way for the Cardinals to ascend a little bit. But the problem that we have now is that we don't know who they're going to ascend with. Uh, Christian, what you watched last year included Jordan Montgomery, and it did include some good moments, about a good month from Jack Flaherty. Uh, And and so the question I have is who is going to replace those innings? And can you have a better rotation in 2024 than you had in 2023? There's a text from the 217, all caps. They finished in last below the Pirates, people. They did. (laughs) I I don't don't disagree. And so one would think... That in in the words of this texter from the two one seven, if you finished in last below the pirates, you would think that you would actively actively work to make that better. Mm-hmm. Sense like, of urgency, uh, and maybe maybe we as fans understand the sense of urgency, and maybe there isn't, and may, we just don't know the plan, Randy. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the frustrating part. And. Again, I, I said this when, when we got the comments about three starters. I was like, yeah, there's no way that's going to happen because that's a lot of money. Not three starters, not three quality starters. And I, I truly felt that there would be a situation where some of these pitchers that we have in the minor leagues, Dakota Hudson's of the world, Zach Thompson's of the world, Takoa Roby's of the world, would be in this starting rotation. And the Cardinals would say, oh, no, we, we actually – evaluated all of the pitching. We actually thought about all of the things we could have done and the money we could have spent. And we're actually cool with what we have. When we when we did the numbers, we actually found out that our pitching is substantially as good as the pitching across <laughs> the league. And therefore, spending money analytically just wasn't a sound decision. <laughs> Did so we just put it, yeah, well, did, was that mode that just dropped was. in from Arizona? <laughs> wow. sure did. Sounded like it. That that was uh, exactly what I would expect to hear. Yeah. And even, look, with the coaching staff never rooting for anybody to lose their job, but when we're talking about a sense of urgency, when you have 91 losses in a season, and as that texter pointed out, finishing behind <laughs> the Pirates, then I think that the expectation should be 
to have some sense of urgency. And here's another thing. You went out there and said that you want a quick turnaround for 2024. Some of these comments from yesterday, and maybe this is just me and what how I feel about this, but did you guys feel all those comments yesterday that it sounds like they are truly expecting or working towards a quick turnaround for 2024? I don't know. I, I would, I guess, because we're getting a lot of texts here, and, and I guess one, one question is the rest of the division is also getting better. So mm-hmm. the, the Cubs just made a move at manager. The, the, the Brewers won the division and were in the playoffs last year. What are the Cardinals? The Pirates, Randy, you said were going to be the 2023 world <laughs> champions the way they started out on fire and then Maybe they had an injury. The that, oh, no, that, that, that hurt them, so they couldn't sustain that. The Reds have probably the best player, the best young player in the league right now. Um, and so, and a great young starting pitcher. Where do the card, Randy, if the Cardinals finish in last place two years in a row, 20 games under 500, it's going to be uh, chaos. Ca- anarchy would mm-hmm. be the word that I would like to use. <laughs> <Anarchy>. <laughs> Just yeah. falling apart at the seams is what I think Bush Stadium a would do. to get ugly. Yes. Coming up, we're going to talk more with Katie Wu of The Athletic about this very subject on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Super Bowl champ Kerry Davis. I'm Randy Carricker, and a lot going on down in Scottsdale, including a lot of talking at the general managers' meetings. Joining us right now, Katie Wu, who covers the Cardinals for The Athletic and one of our great friends of the station and the show and in life. Katie, good morning. How are you doing? Good morning, my friend. So nice to hear from three of my favorite people. How are you guys? We're doing wonderfully. Good. We're just trying to figure out what the Cardinals said yesterday. <laughs> our, our assumption, uh, I think we all agree, is that John Mozeliak intimated that the Cardinals are going to start next season with a payroll similar to what they started last season with. Is this correct or incorrect, Katie? Oh, yeah, Randy. Talk about figuring out the Cardinals join the club. <laughs> um, so, so full disclosure here, I wasn't there for Mo's comments to the media yet, so I can't speak to those comments in real time. But obviously followed up, you know, with GM meetings unofficially kicking off yesterday. And my understanding of those comments is when you look at the Cardinals, they were on track to have a $200 million payroll if they added at the trade deadline last year. Now, of course, they did not, so their payroll went down. I think, just again, talking to people, I, again, I wasn't there for the, the, the actual quote, but talking to people on what that meant and what was being portrayed was that Mo expects the Cardinals to again be in play for a $200 million payroll. Now, that would be the highest payroll in the franchise's history. Would it be enough to satisfy the demands of the fans? That's a different story. It would leave the Cardinals about $40 million to play with this offseason. I personally do not see $40 million being the the huge three free agent starting pitcher splash that we've seen kind of being demanded by the fan base. It's a little bit less than I thought it was going to be, but I don't see the Cardinals, you know, not spending. It's just probably, like we said, 
not going to the extent that the city, the fan base wants it to be. So then after hearing that, my assumption would be that it would be hard to be able to get a guy like Yamamoto or even an Aaron Nola when you're looking at how you're budgeting things. And we know that the comments were about having three starting pitchers. But now that we have what Mo said about kind of what they're looking for budget wise, what is your expectation of the type of starting pitcher they would get? And who do you think would be more likely in that frame? I still think they're going to, you know, be in play for Nolan and Yamamoto or Nola and Yamamoto. I don't think they're going to sign either one. I don't even know if Nola's going to leave Philadelphia. I mean, I'd be more inclined to think that he would stay there. I still see the Cardinals as the best suitors for Sonny Gray. And I think, you know, when you look at the, the overall free agent market and who the Cardinals could get, Sonny Gray is probably in that second tier. I do think he'd be a fantastic you know, number two in a rotation. I think he would certainly help, but I also understand the gripes that fans would have of him not being enough because when you have a front office that says we need three starting pitchers, you would hope that those three starting pitchers really move the needle. I think Sonny Gray would do that, just probably, again, not to the extent that fans want. Um, You know, again, with the conversations that Mel had yesterday and, of course, following up with them, it seemed like adding three starting pitchers via free agency was always going to be tough. So there is a chance the Cardinals can work a trade. They have such significant depth, especially, you know, coming up, and I like to call them the, the right on the cusp of the AAA guys. You're looking at Burleson, Baker, those guys. If you put a package deal with a headliner with somebody already on the major league roster, I think they can find some pitching there. But it's still really hard for me to think the Cardinals will outbid any of the major markets for the top free agents because they've just never done that before. So if the Cardinals are only going to get Sonny Gray and and let's say they are unable to find a deal via trade, do you see some of these younger pitchers coming up and having a role? Maybe uh, Takoa Roby, obviously, last year, and and Dakota Hudson, Zach Thompson, but maybe a McGreevy and Graceffo. You know, I don't want to count any of these guys out because they're so young in their careers, but if the Cardinals are starting opening day in April and – any one of those guys, with the exception of Zach Thompson, I do think he could probably be a formidable number five. But any one of those guys are in the starting rotation, something has gone wrong for the Cardinals. It would be the same story that we've seen, you know, the last three, four winters. And I am under the impression, maybe I'm delusional, who knows, that a 91-loss season would change the, the structure of how this front office operates. I understand you can only spend what ownership is giving you. But relying on your, your depth talent, a AAA, your unproven talent – and a year that's supposed to launch yourself back into contention. Well, I think that's pretty much the same thing as what the Cardinals did last this year, and we saw how that turned out, guys. So, again, I'm not out on any of these younger guys, but I do think in an absolute, especially what I've already said, must-win season next year, counting on your unproven depth is not a feasible move. Katie, based on your reporting, where does the Yadier Molina returning to the organization situation stand? Yeah, you know, it's it's exciting when you see Yadier Molina linked to the Cardinals in any capacity, especially knowing that he could be on the coaching staff. I still think both sides are very interested. It's taking a little bit for the Cardinals to finalize their coaching staff, whether or not this has anything to do with Major League Baseball getting rid of the uniformed contracts for teams and leaving contracts for coaches up to each individual team. I'm not sure. Um, the Cardinals, like I reported in the end of the season, weren't necessarily looking to subtract from their coaching staff. They're looking to add to it, whether that means they create a position for Yachty or roles get reassigned. I'm not sure. Um, But it does sound like, you know, 
Turner Ward, Dusty Blake, all those guys are coming back. Ollie Marmel, of course, is going to be the manager next year. I could see Yachty having a role with the day-to-day operations, but I'm sure fans are, are getting kind of anxious to get this done. I would be surprised if this takes much longer, but we'll see, obviously, these things, especially when you're working with someone uh, you know who's such high status as Yachty or Molina, can take some time. Katie, also it looks like, according to reports, that Heim Bloom will be coming over to the Cardinals as an advisory role. What do you think that he would be able to bring to the Cardinals organization? That's a good question. I think if those reports end up coming to fruition, it would just bring an outside perspective. And, you know, when we look at the Cardinals, they've obviously had their success. This is no knock on the front office, obviously, minus 2023. But an outside perspective wouldn't hurt. The Cardinals are an insular organization in almost everything that they do. Sometimes you can get a little caught up in in your own routine and the own ways you've established and fall behind. We've seen that, for example, with how they evaluate swing and miss in a pitching staff. They were one of the last teams to kind of embrace that, uh, that strategy and look where they are now. I think an outside perspective allows different opinions, different voices, and just a fresh look. And after such a disastrous season last year, that's kind of maybe what the Cardinals need. I mean, I think Randy Forrest does an excellent job. Um, it's surprising to me that Moises Rodriguez hasn't gotten more looks as, you know, a potential fit in other front offices. But I do think that a, a fresh perspective, an outside look would be beneficial for the Cardinals because, let's face it, guys, they're, they're really behind the times in how they've developed their baseball strategy over the last few years, and maybe an outside look will help them there. Katie, the Cardinals uh, told us we were going to have a press conference after the World Series. We're still waiting on that press conference. Is there one in the works? And if not, do do the front does the front office understand the frustration of fans when they say one thing and then they do something different? Yeah, I would not hold your breath for an end of season <laughs> press conference. Um, Thank you for that. <laughs> you know, I, when we first, I I see why the the organization. You know, they were like, well, what do you want us to do? Come out there and say we can't answer that. Could we, you know, because it would be a, a look to 2024 press conference and they wouldn't necessarily be able to give anything away. And the counter argument is it's not necessarily what you can and can't answer. It's how you answer in any way and just show up for the fans. I mean, this was a historically bad season. Yes. And I think fans deserve some sort of recognition or, you know, hey, we're here from the front office and doesn't look like they're going to get that in this end of your press conference. Um, but I will say the Cardinals front office has been available here for the media in the general manager's meeting. So maybe we'll have a different kind of a press conference. Maybe it'll just be different reporting, but I certainly understand fans gripes and frustrations with not having a wrap up to a horrible season. I understand not wanting to relive 2023 by any means, but I still think for the sake of accountability, there probably should have been something. Katie, one last thing. You would think, based upon the conversation that we've had for the last few minutes, that the Cardinals will need to make a deal or two if they want to supplement their rotation and their bullpen. And that's one of the things that the general manager's meetings allow, is for GMs to lay the groundwork for deals that ultimately take place in uh, during the winter meetings in December. Would you anticipate that the Cardinals will be heavy into the trade market, too? You know... I think that's hard to say, Randy, because I think they're going to give free agency their best shot. You know, I think they're going to go and see what they can do to sign a pitcher early, kind of ease everybody's frustrations, both within the organization and outside of it. But I can see the Cardinals, again, swinging a trade. It just depends on 
you know, if you're going to swing a trade to get a starting pitcher, which every or a starting pitcher, which every organization wants, you're going to have to give up something good. And while the Cardinals have plenty of talent, that's not a problem here. Um, it's it's a matter of who are they going to potentially lose, and will that deal come back to bite them? And you know, past trends would indicate yes. Yeah. So hmm. I, I think they have to identify who they feel the most comfortable losing, and that's not going to be an easy decision. I mean, we look at this this trio of Nolan Gorman, Tommy Edmond, Brendan Donovan. Those are all three players that teams in contention would love to have. They're also three players the Cardinals love to have. So how do you make the argument to keep two, lose one? You know, you can make an argument for all three. You can make an argument for all three same. I think it's, it's going to be really difficult. It just depends on who the Cardinals target as someone they want. You know, we know they want young, controllable starting pitching, but they're going to have to give up a lot, and it just kind of depends on if Mo can get past his, this is the word he uses often, few points to make him, you know, to make the Cardinals do that trade. We'll see. I do think, though, that the the avenue they'll start in will be free agency and trades would be the next thing. For those that aren't aware of it, Katie Wu is a grad of Arizona State University. So down in Scottsdale, if you're taking the gang out for fun, whether it's a, a place or a club or dinner, where's the place where Katie Wu says, this is where we got to go? Oh, Brady, I would never step foot in a club. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, I'm a big Old Town Scottsdale advocate. It reminds me of my youth. Unfortunately, you guys, in typical Katie Wu fashion, I actually left my ID at the airport in St. Louis. So no club action for me okay. this week, but perhaps it's for the better. You know, I, this is a work trip. You can do it for me because of the way the Cardinals are acting. Just go to Rehab Burger Therapy and give me a little, uh, get, a, get a little rehab for both of us. You know what? I can probably do that. <laughs> All right. Have a great time. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. That's Katie Wu from The Athletic on 101 ESPN. Coming up, uh, we have four people in this show. Three of us love dogs. Uh, and we're going to have Barkley from the Blues in studio next. Just on 101 real ESPN. quick, it's not CD and I, all right? <laughs> You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Brooke Grimson, Kerry Davis, Randy Carricker, the opening drive on 101 ESPN. And you all know Barkley. He is the blues support dog from Duo. And Barkley joins us in studio right now. You can watch him on the YouTube. Matthew's going to set it up so that you can see Barkley. And he is joined. I guess he drove today. Don Van Houten, the <laughs> CEO of Duo Support Dogs, is here along with Randy Gersh, vice president and executive director of Blues for Kids. First of all, good to see you, Don Th- and Randy. Thanks for coming by. Good to see you. Good morning. Thank you for inviting us here to be today. So uh, let's start with uh, with Barkley, Randy. He's how old is Barkley now? Bark just turned five in September. Wow, time flies. They, they you, grow up quick. You had him from when he was just a little puppy, right? Correct. Uh, we got him from Duo as puppy raisers, and uh, I think we all saw him go viral. I think it was a few million hits on <clears throat> ESPN, uh, international radio, and uh, international TV, and uh, went from there. I remember meeting him when he was a puppy. Absolutely adorable. Now, I know that the plan was at first for him to go to a family because that is what Duo does. And I know you guys will explain that. But now he is set with you, Randy, but he's still doing a lot for Duo, right? So I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because, you know, as he grew up and as we train our dogs, we build on their strengths. And you can see what his, one of his greatest strengths is doing what he does. 
today. And so really there still is very much philanthropy in the work that he does and and helping others. So we're just thrilled um, that this partnership came to be the way it did. What goes into training a dog to, to how, how, like, how, I saw the look on your face, how strenuous is it, and, and what all goes into it? And, well, Randy can speak to this as well, because, of course, he <laughs> raised Barkley, uh-huh. um, but it takes two years. Okay. And, and really, the training for a dog like this begins the moment they are born, gotcha. the moment that, how they're handled. And Randy, tell us a little bit what it was like as a puppy raiser. Yeah, I mean, puppy raising is one of the uh, most rewarding <laughs> and, and best things you can do. You get to meet the puppies early, but... Truly, and, and Don and I were just talking about this outside, what Duo does from uh, the moment these dogs are born and being with them 24 hours a day with Welper Helpers is, is really what make, sets the dogs apart and, and makes them successful in their role. Um, but the training is is really awesome. As soon as you become puppy raisers, you go to Duo and then you do uh, training every week, uh, just basic skill training, and that's what we're, we're taught on. And then uh, they go into advanced training at Duo, where they have some of the kindest and, and most patient people doing the advanced training and putting the advanced skills on the dogs. One of the things you really do have to mentally prepare yourself when you are a puppy raiser, right? Because after 14 months, the dog gets turned back over to Duo for more intensive training. So what was that like for you, Randy? You know, it, it's of course it's hard. Um, I'm not going to shy away from that but of course it's uh it's really it's rewarding you know what you're getting yourself into to start and knowing what these dogs mean for different people and and different families and and what they can do for the community is truly amazing and uh, what is the need dawn right now for people that are puppy raisers or as randy mentioned the whelper helpers and the people that need support dogs well, thanks for asking that. So, as you know, we, we place dogs with um, people who have mobility issues, um, hearing issues, and we place facility dogs in hospitals, schools, and courthouses. And then we have ambassador dogs like Barclay who go out into the community and, and provide joy and love. And so, for as an organization, you know, we are a nonprofit. We're about 40 years old. Um, Duo Dogs, Duo says it all because it's the person and the dog that, that make it happen. And, and I think, you know, uh, our, our greatest need is always funding. Um, But then next to that are the volunteers that help drive our organization, you know, volunteers like Randy, you know, volunteers Mm -hmm. like you um, that came to Mm -hmm. Duo. And so um, because our volunteers raise our dogs, they provide a home for them. So we provide the expertise and the advanced training and the process, you know, to place the dog. But the volunteers open up their hearts and their homes to really do that. So we actually we have another litter of puppies coming pretty soon. Just got word yesterday, one of our breeding oh. females is in season, which means we'll probably be doing some breeding for another litter, which means more puppy raisers. And how can people volunteer? So um, visit us um, at duodogs.org. Visit our facility. Um, we're located in Maryland Heights, um, right at Page and Lindbergh. And a lot of people start with whelper helper uh, volunteering, which is really sitting with the puppies when they're itty bitty. Mm-hmm. They, we have them on site the first eight weeks of their life. We have a puppy cam on them. Uh, people love the puppy cam. They can really get that, that puppy fix and, and doing that. So a lot of people start there and then they fall in love. You know, there or they start as a puppy sitter where the volunteer puppy raisers go on vacation and you have a puppy sitter that keeps them and then they just they fall in love from there. He's walking himself right now. So yeah. he's taking over the place. Yeah. This is he what is, he does, uh, isn't he? He, <laughs> he takes over the room. Getting a, getting a feel for every, yeah. every inch of the room, trying to sniff and smell it out and make sure it's a safe place for us. I appreciate well, it. And everybody stopped us on the way in. I mean, he's just he is famous. Um, and Randy's just a great, great partner um, for us. We, I always love going to the games, too, at home and being able to see him in his little place. That is one of my favorite things. But what what all I know that he's holding him his leash right now. What other tricks does he have? 
Well, there's quite a few actually. The advanced training uh, taught him how to score a goal. Oh, um, so <laughs> is he's that does all to... the puppies get that training? <laughs> I, I think it was special for Barkley. For Barkley. Um, but yeah, I mean, duo. They they really train their dogs to uh, for their specific roles. So if they are a courtroom dog, they they teach them to be able to sit in place. Uh, for long periods of time. So they, they really teach each individual dog for their individual goals. So um, Bark's main training, well, uh, obviously the normal commands, but he's really good with kids and, and just and people and just making sure that he makes them feel welcome. Yeah, the amount of patience that, that he has, I'm sure, helps with kids, yeah, especially kids of all ages, but yeah. kids maybe with special needs or, or families with special need children. I'm sure that that is uh, one of the goals and one of the things you all work for to make sure that they're prepared to help those people. Yeah, absolutely. He goes out to our uh, youth hockey practices. We go to uh, the local hospital, children's hospitals mm-hmm. with them, school visits and uh, he just adores kids. And That's awesome. Fun. You saw a great skill just coming in today. You know, it takes a lot for a dog to, to hold himself and to be present and, and to pay attention. And and Barkley does that. And then when Randy said, do you want to say hi? Then he comes out, you know. And so he did that to several people today. So he was just as quiet as can be. And Randy says, you want to say hi? And there he is. That's awesome. And by the way, Barkley kind of uh, set a tone for the rest of sports, right? Because so many teams now have dogs and they're doing similar things as you did with Barkley, right? Yeah, there were. I believe 16 other NHL teams as soon as we uh, got Barkley and and he went viral uh, you know within the same year or the next year uh, started doing the same thing I mean it just shows the the value that these animals have in the community and what they can do uh, for different people with with you know their their different skills and it's just amazing what they can do and what duo does is amazing and again you can go to duodogs.org i've seen the work of duo dogs in hospitals with cancer patients obviously and uh, we we hear the stories about children's hospital and the the amazing effect that dogs can have not only on on kids that are are struggling but people with depression and other issues it really is amazing what a dog can do isn't it it is incredible and and we're hearing more and more about it especially with the focus on mental health today and mm-hmm. and how you can provide newer resources and help to to people but you know from a hospital perspective too that the nice thing about these dogs is that they were born to do this and the fact that all those volunteers put their heart into it makes it even more special you know that now they're doing this it's pretty cool it's awesome it's great to have Barkley in studio Don Van Houten CEO of Duo Dogs and Randy Gersh from the Blues thanks for stopping by and thanks for bringing the dog you don't have to take the dog with you uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he's got to work tonight I'll bet in the in the first few games you were thinking okay Bark go score us a goal <laughs> he, he knows that command thanks to the <laughs> Thank you so much, and thanks for what you do. Thanks, Randy. Thank you. Appreciate it. And you you can go to duodogs.org to volunteer or just watch the puppy cam. Coming up, we're going to head down the stretch with Rock and Roll here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We'll show today on our Dobbs Tire and Auto Center podcast, either on the app or on 101ESPN.com. If you want, you can see our show on the YouTube channel. Did we get a shot? I know that uh, Barkley was running around. Did 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 we see Barkley on the YouTube? Yeah, you were able to see him when he was um, sitting here at their feet for a while there. Okay, so, yeah, good. you can see Barkley there. Great. And don't forget Blues and Jets tonight at 6 o'clock pregame with Alex and Joey here on 101 ESPN. Matthew, what do you got for us in terms of rock and roll? 
Adam Rittenberg on one on ESPN. I almost said one on ESPN. On ESPN, the mothership writes, the Big Ten formally notified Michigan that it could be facing disciplinary action from the league, a Michigan official told ESPN. Quote, unquote, the letter sent to Michigan is part of the Big Ten's sportsmanship policy, which requires a notice of disciplinary action in the event it becomes clear that an institution is likely to be subjected to disciplinary action. The NCAA is investing Michigan for illegal off-campus scouting and sign signal stealing, but Big Ten Commissioner Tony Patetti has the authority to impose discipline on under the sportsmanship policy before the lengthy NCAA investi- investigative and infractions process concludes. The Big Ten's letters alludes to evidence of the illegal sign stealing, which compromised competitive integrity and other principles of the sportsmanship policy, according to sources. Number one, yes, the NCAA and the Big Ten should be doing this if they're breaking the rules. But number two... They've kind of opened up Pandora's box because somebody else went to ESPN and said, I was working for another school that was doing the exact Mm -hmm. same thing, another Big Ten school. You wonder where it ends and if Michigan is where it started. But what if it is, well, any other Big Ten school? And what if there's more than two Big Ten schools? Then what does the Big Ten do? Do they suspend five coaches? What if everybody does it? There you go. (laughs) Because everybody does, to a degree. Now, I don't know if everybody is buying tickets to opposing teams' (laughs) games. I don't know if everybody is sending a staffer to stand on the opposing team's sideline with shades that look like they got a camera on them. Spy glasses. But if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. And I think all of them are trying. So, you know, it's just to the level or to the degree that um, each team is doing it. I, I, there's no way that an opposing team is not going to look at a, a team's signs and signals mm-hmm. when they're on the sideline and try to decipher what does this card mean? What play was associated with that? What does this card mean? What are they doing? What is this sign, this hand sign? It's part of football. Again, I think what now you always have teams that go above and beyond, and maybe that's what Michigan did here, but I don't, I don't think that they are alone in this matter. If I'm Tony Petiti, I'm hoping that the other ones were Northwestern and Michigan State. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you're rooting for. What, what if it was kind of just an inside job where it's like, hey, just put it out to ESPN that other places are doing it, there specifically well. this team. But and with the whole Connor Stallion situation that you were mentioning, CD, that is very extreme. And he has also fallen on the sword, essentially taking full blame. Other people had to have known, mm-hmm. right? Like, how did Harbaugh not? How did he not? I'm sure. He, I'm sure he, to a degree, uh, there were some conversations, but again, I, I don't think he's alone in this matter. It's just if if you do it better than everyone else, are you mad because we're just better at it than you? I, I think every team, to a degree, has some form of sign stealing. We see it in baseball. We see we saw Craig Kimbrell box so that the runner behind him couldn't tip off the mm-hmm. batter what pitch or the location that was coming. I, I, those things happen in sports. You're trying to get an advantage, and if a, if a team is showing you something, then you're going to you're not going to close your eyes to it. Oh, no, I don't want to know what they're. No, hell no. I, what are they doing? Why are they doing it? <laughs> Can I get an advantage advantage on this play? And if everybody else is doing it, essentially, and you hear that they're doing it, then you're like, well, I mean, if they're getting away with it, I'm going to get. With. Not saying it's right, but ain't at right. the same time, it does make me think of the Astros because then remember stuff started coming out about the Yankees and possibly mm-hmm. other teams. It reminds me so much of that, but. I do believe that Harbaugh, uh, Harbaugh knew something. There's no way that Connor Stallions just didn't tell or re- it somehow didn't get up to him. I think I'd be worried or wanting to know that 
One, one of my staffers is writing a manifesto about taking over Michigan football, but two, going on other teams' sidelines with spy glasses where you're going to get caught in this way. I think about what Eli Drinkwood said, and I sent you guys this video. Remember he did an interview where he was talking about kind of taking a swipe at the Michigan stealing scandal, and he said, I think the playoffs are worth $1 billion. We can't afford wireless headsets. It's mind-blowing to me. Yeah. Why do you think that that is just something that they should look into moving forward? Yeah, you mm-hmm. should have what the NFL has and allow them to communicate through their headset. So that way there is no sign stealing. Yeah. That, that's me talking to my quarterback yeah. and me talking to my linebacker so they can get the plays and it shuts off with 10 seconds left on the play clock. The play is you, you have the information and now we can go forward and no one has to stand on the sideline with a play card. And that was one of the ridiculous things that somebody in the NCAA said, well, what about hiring a person to turn off the, the, the transmitter at 10 seconds? Come on. <laughs> Again, How much does that job dollars. cost? Connor Stallions can do that job. Yeah. How much does that, that job cost? You could turn it a, off. You could get a GA to do it. Okay, yeah. right? it's not well, expensive. You wouldn't be able to get a GA. Well, you wouldn't be able to get a GA. For, a student though, for, some, for some, each team. Yeah, for every, one, everybody's one, one gonna person. Have, everybody's gonna want to have have somebody that wants that gig. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and so it's, I did Why not yeah. do it? If there's enough money for it, then why not yeah. do it? Is it safe to assume that they over don't the, want to give yeah. money to anyone no, else? Uh, yeah, safe to assume that over the last couple of years, Missouri did not have Tennessee signals. Oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe they got an issue, though. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Got your, maybe got to assume yes. I, I would, I'll, I'll give you that Thank one. Thank you. By the way, I, I still want to know one part of this story that hasn't been reported on any further, because you're mentioning what, you know, what teams are, are spearheading this. There were reports that it was Ohio State hmm. that told the Big Ten what was going on. It was the first ones because they got nice. a they were doing an investigation to discover if this was true before they told the Big Ten. So if that's the haymaker that's coming after you, that that's that's a little different. Yeah, so it's a little bit different if it's if it's Ohio State who's asking for it. How is the Ohio State Michigan game going the last few years? Michigan. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, how was it going before? Connor Stallion showed up. There you go. <laughs> Ohio State. <laughs> also, the, here's my thing, Carrie. Because we're talent. talking about Harbaugh. If there was a guy who was not on your coaching staff who was whispering in the ear of one of your coordinators during a game, wouldn't you just wouldn't you wouldn't you as a head coach be like, hey, uh, who is who, that guy? Who, who's that guy? Who the hell is that guy? I'm just like that. Yeah. Like that's what we're talking about. Is like his coordinators taking notes it, from this guy and the head coach being like, I don't even know if this this a guy who's not even our coach is giving my guys tips it and is, I don't care. It is different in college because there are so many people on the sidelines. That's fair. Like there are so many people in the NFL in college where college even more. I mean, you got a hundred people, hundred kids dressed mm-hmm. out, and then you got alums coming out, and then you got it's just a lot of people. At times that you you and you're so focused, you know, on the game, the field, that you, if I have to worry about what the hell my assistant coaches are doing every five seconds, how the hell am I going to win a football game? How did he get the pass to even get in? Oh, that's not now. Yeah. Well, he was, just, he was on Michigan's question. staff. Yeah, he's talking about, no, I'm talking about Michigan. on the other the Central Michigan because you know because um, McElwain was Harbaugh's receivers well, coach. Said, I, I, I don't know yeah. how the sign stealing guy got well, it. We got to do some looked research. Like a, it looked like a, it looked like just a regular yeah. after field credential after that he had on. McElwain got whacked at Florida. He was Harbaugh's receivers coach at Michigan for a year yeah. before he yeah. went to Central Michigan. And that's what I'm saying. I I don't know about you guys, but even as like a media member, seeing like the same person over and over again, they're still checking every aspect mm-hmm. of your credential. Harbaugh has to go to the NFL, right? Yeah, he That's does. going to be the next. Yeah. One last yeah. thing. Does this affect Michigan's 2023 college football season? No. 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 
mm-hmm. it'll be something done after the fact if they find some information. You know, they'll yeah. remove they banners might, like yeah. it matters. Like take they away did with the Fab Five. I still remember trophies, the top, like, Fab Five, yeah. Like Reggie Bush didn't actually win it. They'll right. ask for the Bill Self special. Yeah, that's all that's, they need. Yeah. Can we get that? Pretty good. <laughs> you you that? can take away the champions for the Fab Five, but you can't take away the fact that I only ever wanted to wear long shorts, black socks, and I never once got a pair of Nike Hiraches, no matter how much I asked exactly. for it. There you go. Great job by our producer and audio and video Real. engineer, Matthew Rocchio. Thank you, sir. Pleasure. Uh, Brooke, was this fun? Yes. Did you like the dog? I did. So Brooke likes the dog. So Carrie, do you fun. like dogs? I did like the dog. I love dogs. Mm-hmm. So I loved the dog. It was great. How about that? How about that? How about that? I loved the dog. It was great. I was petting him. I was very happy. He you just were. doesn't think dogs are cute, I think he said. That's not, that's not what yeah, he said. Yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's actually a lot better than what I said. Yeah, we'll go with that. Dogs are cute. And, and they're not family members. <laughs> yes. Which they are. Oh, Don't tell me that Stevie Nicks is not my daughter, okay? Did you have, uh, to, buy, did you have to buy your dog? Yes. No. Well, then it's not your daughter. Uh, no. Excuse that, you, you. I can adopt a adopt child. So yeah, he's so. anti-adoption too. <laughs> oh my wow. gosh, man! Oh my goodness, we learned so much every There's day. There's no here. recovery from this, Rob. <laughs> yeah. uh, CD. Watch your face. We want to see your face. Who said that? You want to see my face? And uh, thanks to CD for bringing in the jerseys of Brooke Ward during the first ah, yes. hour. Yes. That was great. Thankful. Wearing the Kerry Davis Super Bowl Thank jersey. Thank you. Appreciate you. Yep. And we thank <sighs> Maybe you for tuning time. in, texting in, and being a part of the show. The balloon party is next for all of us until tomorrow, hump day at 7. Have a great Taco Tuesday, everyone. That's right. You've been listening to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN and ESPN.com. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers.